0: My name is Sam, and I am joined by my podcasting partner, friend, co-worker, movie soulmate, and of course, my Huckleberry.
1: Steve, how are you today? (laughs) I'm feeling very contrite. Contrite? Contrite. Explain. I made a big mistake, or what I consider a big mistake, on our last podcast, and that was under favorite lines from the movie The Thing, and I love The Thing, so there was no excuse for me making this. What I said was that Palmer upon seeing this this hideous freak uh head sprouting uh, crab-like uh, uh tentacles and walking away said are um that's some fucked up shit or something yeah, like that. I, yeah, I misquoted it. I okay. forgot what I said, but what I should have said was you got to be fucking kidding. <laughs> I thought that's what you said. I said I like um uh, I think I said I can't remember what I said, but I, I don't think I said that. I so, thought that's what you said. Either way, I'm sure people will forgive you. It's, 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 I, should, I should resign in disgrace. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, you know, like, like, like a politician, I should resign in disgrace, but I leave it to you. You know, I can probably My, do this thing uh, alone. Okay, you know what? You'll you be well within your rights. I could pro- Well within your rights.
0: I've always been curious about trying to do a podcast where I just talk and I just keep talking, and I just go and go and see what happens. In fact, I might do— Let your inner monologue become your outer monologue. I might do one (laughs) Hidden Gems movie podcast just by myself to see what happens. Okay, so I got to say something. Uh, We've been doing this podcast for a little over a year, about a year and a half almost. A year and four months. I think we started in April of 2020, okay? I have never been so excited— to do a single episode as I am excited to do this episode. Right. Now, keep in mind, these are not my favorite movies we've ever done on this, this show. That being said, I find the topic of today's episode to sort of exemplify everything I like, not only about movies, but about talking about movies and the whole idea of the hidden gem, right? The the unknown classic. So for everyone listening today, we are picking two movies about that star the actor val kilmer today's episode is really about val kilmer val kilmer is an actor that i've always loved part of the reason we're talking about him is because a documentary just came out on amazon prime that deals with where val kilmer is now in life unfortunately he has throat cancer and his entire career really as a result has been derailed because he's been so ill he has a hole in his throat that you know changes his voice it's not good okay but i'm not here to talk about the documentary I'm here to discuss Val Kilmer, because for me growing up, Val Kilmer was a really good example of if you were talking movies with another guy and, or girl, and that person brought up Val Kilmer, you kind of had an idea like, okay, this person likes movies. And the, and the thing about Val Kilmer is I do think he's a great actor. I don't think he's had a great career uh, in regards comparison to other people's careers. I don't think he's been in a huge dearth of fantastic movies, but there is something about the guy that is just so fascinating, and I've come up with different theories on it. One of my theories is that Val Kilmer looked like Tom Cruise. I don't mean physically, but he was a square-jawed, handsome lead actor type in the era of Tom Cruise, right? But he was tapping into a feminine style of acting. Uh, And when I say feminine, that uh, would probably get me canceled today. But I mean a sensitive kind of acting. He wasn't big. They tried to make him an action star, right? But this guy was really a very sensitive character actor in a leading man's body at a time when that was very uncommon. And I got another good friend named Greg who said that Val Kilmer also was really interesting because he played iconoclastic roles. He played Batman. He played uh, Doc Holliday from Tombstone, which will be our first movie today. Um, he, what else did he do that was... Uh, he played Jim Morrison, The Doors, quite, uh, quite famously, which is also a really bad movie. But there's just something about Val Kilmer, to me, beyond the fact he's a good actor, that really has always fascinated me about him. And this is not to say he's been in a ton of great movies. He really has not. But he fascinates me. Um, before I go on, because I could really talk about doing an hour long podcast by myself. This would be the topic,
1: Steve. What is it about Val Kilmer for you that, that makes you interested in him? I always thought he had art in reserve. You know, when when, when he took when he really got a, a good role, not some, some silly role like in in Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always felt that there was something underneath that you know you had to think about to reveal. Yeah. You know. and that's that's the, the best actors do that. He has You're right. He hasn't had the, the most acclaimed career. No, not at all. Could ha- could have though. Yeah. With the right decision making, yeah. I have no doubt that the studios wanted him. Uh, you know, as soon as he did um, Tombstone, I have no doubt that he probably got very similar roles, one after the other, about the you know the witty mm-hmm. uh, best friend. Yeah. You know. Um, fortunately, uh, he rebelled against that. You know, he he would go against type. I, oh, I don't want to take this uh, this particular role because it, it. I forgot what what role he he rejected because uh, it it makes me look like I'm uh, want to be a hunk. Yeah. On the other hand, he had a chance to to make some interesting uh, moves. Blue Velvet. It turned they, it down. Turned turned it down. And man, w- he would have been better. I think better than Kyle MacLachlan. So here's something I want to say about
0: Bill Villanueva and his <clears throat> entire career arc. To me, the best example. So. Val Kilmer's best possible career, in my mind, would have been Christian Bale's. I think Christian Bale had the best possible version of Val Kilmer's career, and I think Val Kilmer had the best possible version of Kyle McLaughlin's career.
1: Well, I wonder what—yeah, that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a good point. I I wonder what, what the difference is. Is it— uh... They're both off kilter. greater respect for talent now yeah. than there was back in the 80s, maybe? I think there's no doubt Val Kilmer today, if he was 25, would have thrived. Mm-hmm. I
0: think that the movie industry uh, is much more um, accepting and inviting for a talent like Val Kilmer's. In mm-hmm. offbeat. I mean, look at Tom Hardy today. Tom Hardy is so similar to Val Kilmer. He's a hunk, but he's sensitive and he's fascinating. See, Steve, I have this belief that What's more important than being a good actor is being an interesting actor. You can be a good actor and be boring, right? You can have all the technical chops, but there's something about you that's just not interesting. Val Kilmer was a good actor, but more importantly, he's an interesting actor. Um, mm. He's just, he's super, um, Every all the choices he makes, even in his bad movies, he's always doing something interesting. Um, I rarely see him just be really bad in a movie. Even Batman Forever, which is not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, in my opinion, he is no doubt the best Batman because he's the best... I think he gave the best performance as Bruce Wayne and Batman. And in fact, uh, Bob Kane, the creator of Batman, said that Val Kilmer
1: was the closest he had in his own head of Batman. I'm a little surprised because I thought he was the most... I thought he was the most negligible... Um, Worse than Clooney? Yes. No, well, get out of here. I, I thought uh, I thought Clooney was a little warmer. You know, you could. Uh, yeah, I, I think he connected with the audience a, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't think I, I think Kilmer's the better actor than, than Clooney. Although I, I have a lot of respect for his comedic abilities, yeah. uh, Clooney's comedic abilities. My favorite is still uh, Keaton because I thought he I thought he was the most interesting. But let's face it, all the actors come to the same conclusion. All you're doing is playing straight man to yeah. to the characters who get to play the villains who get to go hog wild and get all this acclaim and attention. You yeah. know? I, I can't blame him for wanting to back out. In that documentary that you had uh, you had me watch called Vow, yeah, he makes it very clear he felt underutilized. He felt he was just standing around like like a, I, I guess a slab of handsome beef. You yeah, know? yeah, which he was. And, and you got to feel sorry. You, you got to feel for that.
0: Yeah. You know? um, he just had a really fascinating career. Um, I, watched, I watched a lot of Val Kilmer movies recently in preparation for this podcast. I found myself really enjoying Thunderheart. I'm not going to say it's a good movie, but I liked it. Um, I, it was like the one really, I think, sort of big gaping omission from my Val Kilmer filmography that I hadn't seen. I liked Thunderheart. Uh, and apparently Thunderheart was a really big success, which I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. If you go on Wikipedia, it was a
1: major financial success. Really? Yeah, they made I'm a lot a of surprise. I saw it. I thought it was only okay. Um, other, other than the other than the crystal clear cinematography, which it mm-hmm. shares with Tombstone, yeah, I I didn't find it remarkable. So you know, Val Kilmer he kind of has two halves of his career.
0: He got to, he has his first half in which he he's a dynamite sort of A list star. Here's the question, Steve, because honestly, I was a kid at the time in the '90s. Do you feel that Val Kilmer really ever was an A-list celebrity, that he was truly
1: that famous? It's funny. I, um, I, just today, I was reading this article in preparation mm-hmm. for the show, and this one a critic of, of the, uh, the movie Val mm-hmm. said he never really quite made it to the A-list. It's funny. Um, box office-wise, no. Yeah. But the directors saw something in him which kept getting him opportunities in the biggest movies.
0: I kind of feel like the industry wanted him to be a list like the producers, the studio heads. They wanted him to be another Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think if he could have been Tom Cruise, he would have been like, no, sorry, I said that wrong. If he wanted to have been Tom Cruise, he would have been, I think that nobody was, no one kept Val Kilmer back from really box office success more than Val Kilmer. Mm. It is purely himself. Whether or not he was difficult to work with is one thing, but it really comes down to his choices. Um, it just seemed like he couldn't make the choices that would not only up his stature in the industry but also make a lot of money. He seemed to have a hard time with this. Like, you know, his Doors performance is beloved. I watched that movie for the first time recently cuz it's never appealed to me. <laughs> it is irredeemably bad and I'm not even sure he's good in it, but he's he's fascinating to
1: watch in it. It is a Terrible movie. Have you seen it recently? No, not recently. I saw it when it came out in the yeah. theaters. Um, I never wanted to see it again. Yeah, now I don't mean, I'll blame you. You know, uh, it's it's funny too because uh, when I was watching the um, Val, yeah the the documentary about him, I came away thinking I have respect for him as an actor. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to sit down and break bread with him. Yeah, <laughs> I really wouldn't. He seems very. He has this artsy, ethereal yeah. presence. It's, it's that obnoxious. I would, yes, uh, that I could not. Stand. Did you see his inside that, the actor studio? No, no. It I was never, so. I never saw disappointing. That. They have clips from it yeah. uh, in Val, but it's uh, so
0: disappointing. So that clip in it from the movie mm-hmm. is when uh, James Lipton asks the question. He asks every guest at the end of the thing. Uh, yeah. You know, you're at. You've died. You've gone to heaven. God greets you. What do you say? And uh, Val goes. Will I tell her? It's just so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks he's being smart by assuming God is a woman rather than assuming God isn't real.
1: <laughs> he almost, I think he almost paused to remember to say her. Yeah. You know? it's, it's
0: really bad. Um, Here's the thing about Val Kilmer. Uh, he is one of a few actors in my life that I felt people who love movies really loved these specific actors. And these actors, to them, represented the idea of, yeah, you like this guy, but really, you should like this guy. It's your litmus test right, to see if how, right.
1: how serious somebody is on, on So
0: those way. actors, especially in the mid-'90s, were Christian Bale, who at one time was the most searched man on the Internet. This is pre-Batman Christian Bale, when he was a cult figure, basically. Um, believe it or not, Sean Penn. Sean Penn was not always that famous. Um, he was well-respected. He was more famous, in some ways, in the 80s than he was in the early 90s. Um, like, right around the time that Sean Penn did uh, Dead Man Walking, he was incredibly respected, but not like a bona fide movie star in the way he had been when he was dating Madonna. It was weird. He became less famous, but more but more critically acclaimed. It wasn't really, I think, until Mystic River the, that his stature rose to being, like, the number one actor in Hollywood again. I mean, in some ways... Sean Penn's career was a lot like Joaquin Phoenix. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is another one of these guys where it was kind of like, if you liked Joaquin Phoenix before Joker, right, then you knew (laughs) something about movies. And then that other guy was Val Kilmer. For me, Val Kilmer's, in my life, he's the first guy to represent that, that movie litmus test, where it's like, if you like Val Kilmer, but in some ways, he's the least justifiable. I don't know if there's ever been an actor who made as few good movies, right,
1: (laughs) who and is, still has a great reputation. He still has and, a uh, great uh, yeah.
0: reputation.
1: Okay, um any other, you know, anything else you want to talk about Val Kilmer before well, we get to the first movie? You mentioned the feminization, I guess, yeah. We, yeah. as far as uh, I remember Richard Dreyfuss yeah. um being interviewed and said he, he sort of modeled his early career about the the fe- mm. and he used that, I think it was that word, the feminization of uh of James Stewart. Interesting. So it goes back w- way back then because James Stewart wasn't in most of his movies, he wasn't that tough guy. No, he he was far far more sensitive. You know, the, the average American who wasn't you know quick to anger, but and, and, and but he wasn't legitimately time. feminine. What he was was hapless.
0: James Stewart was hapless, <laughs> down on his luck. I mean, the, the 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 quintessential James Stewart role is "It's a Wonderful Life." That's not a feminine role. That's just a hapless role. There was something about Val Kilmer. You think so? See, yeah, I I, a doubt. I
1: I disagree with the haplessness. I, I I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but I, I disagree with that being being hapless. In fact, mm. there's some that that movie is a lot yeah. darker than yeah. uh, most people uh, acknowledge. Yeah, it wasn't until the 50s where he started playing uh, cowboys and started getting developing an edge. But if you, I don't know, even in well, with uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, mm-hmm. he's got that. Maybe even feminism isn't the right way to say it, or fe- um, feminine isn't the right Femininity? word. Femininity, <laughs> idealistic. Yeah. you know, um, n- not the hard bitten. Uh, cynic yeah. that drove Bogart's career. You know? yeah.
0: I just don't think the inverse of that is feminine. Now, just to really go on a real side note here, my favorite joke ever from The Simpsons mm-hmm. was the It's a Wonderful Life joke when Bart, when the school shuts down and Bart is just causing trouble out in town and he goes to the bank and he goes, what do you mean the bank doesn't have any money? What? My money's all gone. So everyone in the oh. bank's are like, oh my God, where's my money? And then Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life comes out and he goes, oh no, wait, wait a minute, see, she, I don't have your money. It's your at- money's in
1: Fred's house. He, and- goes, he goes, it's in
0: Bill's <laughs> house. And Mo goes, hey, Bill, what are you doing with my money? You know, the complete opposite of what that character really would have done. You think he's going to do something noble and in he sells some other guy out. Okay, <laughs> let's get back to Val Kilmer. Any other sort of... What I will say is that if you watch the documentary, Val, I was just so depressed on what Val Kilmer is up to now, Mm. which is basically having cancer, signing autographs at Comic-Con for money and having to sign the exact same autograph over and over and over because everybody asks him to sign some line from Top Gun. It it made me completely rethink what Comic-Con is. It is the saddest thing I've ever seen. I would never attend a Comic-Con now after watching that. Because it's just the total exploitation of has-beens who need a buck having to basically prostitute themselves in many ways for people who want an autograph, who basically tell them what to write. Can you write this line from this movie?
1: It was, man, it was tragic. It, it, was, it was very tragic. And, and the funny thing is there's a point in the movie, uh, in the documentary, where he says... He acknowledges that, yeah. Which these guys never do, yeah. So he's at least self-aware enough yeah. to acknowledge. But then he says, "You know what?" But then I get to meet my fans, mm-hmm. and, and they seem happy, and I think mm-hmm. I, like I've done something. I'm wondering if he's trying to to, to convince himself. himself, yeah, yeah. So of course he's, he's he was because there is this wonderful uh, scene, and I think it's when uh, he's some he's watching Tombstone with the crowd. Oh, oh, and and he's in yeah. silhouette and he's standing yeah. up. That that that's, that's pretty good too. But no, there's just a really quick moment. He he's got this he had throat cancer yep. and he has this uh you know this device that makes him sound um I'm not even going to imitate it It's like a voice it. box. It's a it's a voice box. And he's about to be seen by somebody and I forget who it was. He's got a scarf around his neck and he covers the voice box. Yeah, he very, does that. Very gently. He does it all the time now. Man, that was it was so I don't know. I I felt so sad and and, and I felt so much pity and yet, you know, um it was remarkable.
0: Yeah, it's uh, All right. So I think now it's time. We'll talk more about Val Kilmer. Have we depressed you enough? Yeah. Because that's really depressing. We'll talk more about Val Kilmer as we talk about these two movies. But the first movie on today's list is Tombstone.
1: From Hollywood Pictures, they shared a past. Wired up with my friend. A trust. Thanks for always being there, Doc. And an enemy. I want your blood. Together, they fought a battle at the O.K. Corral. The West would never forget. Oh, my God. Russell is Wyatt Earp. Val Kilmer is Doc Holliday. They're bringing justice to Tombstone. Rated R.
0: Okay, Steve, so Tombstone was my choice. Um, and I got to open up with something. I have loved Tombstone since the very first time I saw it. And yet, and what I'm about to say, I'm not saying something that's a surprise to me, but watching Tombstone this time again, I liked it the least. I've ever liked it. And I always knew that tombstone had flaws and I knew what those flaws were. Right. Uh But I was always able to derive a ton of enjoyment out of the movie, despite those flaws. And this was the first time I watched tombstone. And I said to myself, man, those flaws are really bad. (laughs) So tombstone has some of the best movie moments I've ever seen. And also some of legitimate, the legitimate worst movie moments I've ever seen. Um, there are parts of Tombstone that are so absurdly bad it feels like it was uh, directed by two directors, which is a good segue, Steve, into your stats on Tombstone. Okay, a- absolutely. Because
1: uh, weren't there kind of two directors? There were yeah. two directors. Um, well, according to IMDb, there's uh, um, the the second director was actually the uh, the screenwriter Kevin Jar. Okay. Uh, but uh, they they settled on George P. Uh, Cosmatos. Now. This guy was not a huge name in Hollywood. In fact, you know, I think he only ever directed another thing. Mm-hmm. I remember him from First Blood Part II, Rambo, First Blood Part II. So he's got that action uh, thing going. He also did a couple of 70s all-star crap crap fests, like uh, Cassandra Crossing. And he also directed uh, um, a World War II movie with Telly Savalas. Um, name escapes me. He never showed any of the uh, any of the competence he he shows here, in, in my opinion. Oh, Escape from Athena is, is is the movie I was thinking about. Uh it was written by Kevin Jar, who wrote <laughs> he wrote Glory, okay? Fascinating screenplay, right? Then he wrote Rambo, I guess I guess again for George Com The Devil's Own, uh, that crappy uh 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 Brad Pitt. Harrison Ford, Brad Pitt fiasco. I like it. Oh, I can't stand it. And then he wrote the screen story for The Mummy. Okay. I love The Mummy. The first the, one's the 1999 great. is fantastic. Yeah, the, the, it gets more shrill as it goes along. Side note, was...
0: Brendan Fraser's making a comeback. Is he? He's that... in the new Scorsese movie, and he's also now a topic of... Pub... The public has decided to sympathize or empathize with Brendan Fraser for some reason and put him on a pedestal as a person they'd like to see again.
1: I don't know why. He kind of disappeared a lot... Val Kilmer—he's not yeah. the actor that Val Kilmer is, no but he not just completely all. disappeared. Like Val, he's Gilmer. making a comeback, and people are people are rooting for him for some I, reason. I, I think that's I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. Um, this cast is incredible. Well, first off, Tombstone rated R. It was released on Christmas Day in 1993. You'd think it was yeah. a summer tentpole movie. Uh, given the cast, but no, it was it was Christmas Day. I got, maybe as an alternative to all the Oscar bait, I, mm-hmm. I guess it was uh, released by uh, um, Hollywood Pictures, whatever yeah. that is. Um, actually, they had a couple of uh, fairly big movies like uh, The Sixth Sense. Uh, it runs two hours and ten minutes long, and it has an enormous cast. Some people, some great old actors like well Robert Mitchum does the narration the beginning and the end and you have Charlton Heston making an appearance And Harry Carey Jr. you know as the sheriff who gets accidentally shot by a mm-hmm. uh, curly curly bill i think curly bill. curly bill powers booth yeah well see he was in his prime about the same yeah. age as, as Kurt Russell they have yeah, they've got Kurt Russell uh of course Kilmer the great Sam Elliott kind of underused in this movie yeah. but used just the, the right way Bill Paxton playing what he plays best, the weak supporting character kind of falls apart. No, nobody beats Powers Booth's gravelly deep no. voice. I mean, this guy was made to to um, mm. you know talk about the uh, uh, narrate document doc, uh, documentaries. Michael Bean, you wait, wait,
0: the star who never was.
1: Michael Bean, yeah, the oh, star
0: yeah. who never was. But but not. I don't want to be too. But not because. But, but I'll put it this way. He didn't necessarily have a lot of like he was a star that never was, but that's not to say it was a disservice to his acting talents, right? Like he may not have ever had the acting talents to be the star <laughs> he thought he should have been. That's all I'm saying.
1: I I would agree with that because I think he reached uh, reached his peak with Aliens, mm-hmm. and he, there wasn't a whole lot of place Terminator? to go. I've never seen anything. Yeah, Terminator. Yeah, Aliens. Uh, I guess uh, James uh, Cameron. Uh, He's
0: great in one scene of The Rock. <laughs> the Rock. He's in The Rock.
1: Oh, He's he the plays guy one who of the, uh... he leads
0: the strike force into the bathroom where they all get slaughtered. That's right. And man. that leads to the great showdown between him and Ed Harris, two guys who don't know their... Not in a Shakespearean movie, like but that's why it makes that movie so good. And that Harris is like, you know, stand down, Captain. And then Michael Bean's going, I cannot give that order. Like it's such
1: a great scene in a in a bad movie that I love. By the way, um, uh, The Rock was also one of the movies that Hollywood Pictures. They they apparently they they were they had quite some success at production company. I, I'm not finished though. Jason Priestley, coming off 90210. He Boy, was, they should yeah. have cut him out of that movie. <laughs> he didn't we'll, He didn't add a lot. We'll get I into that. I think they did. I think they cut him down. They didn't cut him out enough. <laughs> we'll get into that. Stephen Lang, another uh, he James is, Cameron. He
0: uh, is. We'll get into it. He's the runner-up in this movie for me. Is he? Yep. On rewatch, the first time I ever felt this, Stephen Lang almost steals the movie. They're Almost. The, from Val Kilmer. Val the, Kilmer keeps it. Uh-huh.
1: But but I didn't realize how close Stephen Lang came
0: to stealing this movie.
1: There are movies where the actors don't know what's expected of them and they're lost. Yeah, almost every actor knows exactly what is asked of them in this movie. None more than Stephen <laughs> Lang. He is perfect yeah, in in fan- the role as Ike Clayton, a total weasel. Thomas Hayden Church, you barely see him. Not a good
0: actor, never has been, oh, nev- I disagree. Never has been, never will be, and a huge jerk in real life. Is is he really? Yeah. I I, uh, I, watch, I met the man, but. watch watch his late night appearance with <laughs> Kate, right? with um with Norm Macdonald. Wow and watch how irritated he gets at Norm MacDonald. It is hilarious.
1: <laughs> well he, Norm didn't spit in his face or anything, did he?
0: Well Norm was Norm and, and Hayden Church couldn't figure out if Norm was making fun of him or not. But, and yeah. that and that made his puny pea-sized brain get angry. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I loved him in Sideways, although he was, he was But terrific. I get the feeling uh, he is that person in Sideways. He could be. Maybe that's why he, some some actors are like that. They can only do themselves. Dana Delaney, mm-hmm. you know, uh, coming off of China Beach. They have Michael Rooker in A Blink and You Miss Him. And yeah. you, you wouldn't know, they have so many fantastic It's because he's actress, not playing a serial killer. A, a virtually unrecognizable Billy Bob Thornton early in the movie. Yeah. You know? Um, the, the, the cast alone just is, is fantastic. No Academy love, though. No Academy love. It didn't get any Oscar nominations. The tagline on the poster is, Justice is coming. Yeah, fine, All right, whatever. You know? Well, I mean, they reference uh, they that, that, that quote in the Bible where, you know, um, I'm coming and I'm bringing hell with me. You that should have just been it. Or it should have been, he's
0: coming and hell's coming with him. That should have been the tagline.
1: You're right. He's that would have coming been better. And
0: hell's coming with him.
1: <laughs> but you know what? They couldn't I use the word. Uh, Hell. Uh, Pale Rider uh probably wore out that line, and that was only a few years earlier. Oh, really? e- Eastwood West Western, okay. which is basically the, the whole the whole concept. Okay. Uh it may it cost twenty five million, only made about twice that amount. So it kind of broke even. 56 million. Um that that is uh we could go over movies that we could have picked, but we can do that at any time. Um, we should do that at the end. Okay. Movies that we, we, that we could have picked. All right. So we all done with stats? We are all done with stats. Okay, Steve. So now I'm
0: going to attempt to do the plot summary here. It's going to be really hard. Okay. Retired Federal Marshal Wyatt Earp moves to the town of Tombstone with his brothers to start up a business that's pretty much it. He just wants to make money. He is retired from being a marshal. He's not in the law anymore. Him and his brothers want to come to this pretty lawless town of Tombstone and just make a ton of money, kind of based off their fame, uh, because they were famous marshals. But unfortunately for them, there is a gang in this town called the Cowboys, and they're they're a group of lawless outlaws, and they pretty much control the town. And Wyatt Earp wants to largely keep out of any troubles with these guys, but of course... You know the 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 uh, how do you call it? The allure of the badge, the the responsibility of the law is thrust upon him, and he reluctant he reluctantly accepts and has to go to battle with the evil gang of cowboys. Meanwhile, his good friend outlaw, a notorious gambler, drunkard, and a victim or sufferer of tuberculosis, Doc Holliday is also in this town, and they are. Great friends for reasons that are completely unknown and do not matter. And Val Kilmer plays the role of Doc Holliday in, I guess we could talk about it now, Steve. Is it his best performance? Is it
1: his best role? It's his most most entertaining, by far, his most audience-pleasing, entertaining role. He is so ingenious. I've never seen him more ingenious. So
0: can I say something? This was the very first time ever I decided, for me, it's number two. And number one's the other movie, but we'll hold off. Okay, we'll hold off. But my favorite Val Kilmer performance ever is actually in the next movie we're going to do. So something. To, let's talk about Val Kilmer in this role. I mean, in a movie of great performances, pretty much all around, including Kurt Russell, who we went in. We went in on Kurt Russell in the last episode, did we not? We did. Yeah. So we don't have to go too much into him. Um, but Val. But nobody gets close to Val Kilmer except for maybe Stephen feeling. Lang, which was a surprise to me. <laughs> um, this is a movie, look, we got to talk about this because I think you kind of said it, but you kind of didn't. One of the directors was fired from this movie very early on, right? And they they brought on a new director. I think the first director was the screenwriter and then it was determined that screenwriters can't direct. And... Uh, Then they brought in a new director, although it's been largely said by the cast and crew alike that it was Kurt Russell directing the movie. That would be very interesting Now, the question is who directed the good parts and who directed (laughs) the bad parts? Because, I'll explain some, there are two storylines, really three storylines happening in this movie that are some of the worst garbage I've ever seen, and that is the storyline between Billy Zane and Jason Priestley, which is a homosexual actor. And a
1: guy in the town. What did Jason Priestley do in this town? Explain it to me. I think he was a, a um, deputy marshal. Okay, he worked under the Terry, uh, Terry O'Quinn. Another yeah. wonderful, Great terrific actor. actor. Yeah, he, he plays a. I think he's sort of an ally. Believe yeah. it or not. No, first he's with the Cowboys because
0: remember there's that line when he finally ditches. He's the the mayor.
1: I'm sorry, Terry Quinn plays the mayor. Yeah,
0: no, no, Terry Quinn's a good guy. He's with the bad sheriff of the town. He's the right. right. Basically, there was a homosexual subplot in this movie between Billy Zane and Jason Priestley. They got ninety percent of it cut because I do believe it's in the director's cut. But what you realize is. They should have cut a hundred percent of it. <laughs> not because it's a homosexual subplot, but because having 10% of any subplot is not good for a movie, right? So they include 10% of this other subplot that they
1: cut 90% from, and it makes no sense. I have a theory. Please, as to why give it, to it, me. it originated. And I've never seen this before. I watched it last night. Yeah. They're trying to imply that Powers Booth was a little homosexual. <laughs> really? I thought they were because he loves the um, the power the powers with character. Um, he he loved the speech. Yeah. He was the one who stands up and applauds, and he says a few other things. I've I never I, picked mean, up on that. I, I might be completely wrong. So you wrong. think maybe that's why they left it ten percent? of Maybe they're going to try to integrate it in. I, I don't know. Or maybe um, they just couldn't
0: cut the theater scene correctly without Jason Priestley in it. Yeah. Like maybe Jason Priestley is in enough essential scenes that they actually had to include more of him for it to make any sense at all. Otherwise, you'd be like, who is that guy? Why was he in that scene so predominantly and then never saw him again, right? Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you still see- feel that right. way, by the way. I, I don't right. know what the Jason Priestley characters are right. doing in this yeah. in, in this movie.
0: Well, you, you realize it only when you basically realize that all of the actor stuff in this movie, there was more of it, and they cut most of it. The other storyline, the the second one that makes, that should have been cut entirely, is, is Wyatt Earp's uh, opium-ridden wife, <laughs> Um, who, uh, who basically just starts crumbling as soon as the movie starts. In one scene, she's okay, and then in the next scene, you know, she's going to the Betty Ford
1: Clinic. She's so over the top. I mean, it's just outrageous. Like, they, they I just, think they had to include it. Um, to be fair to history, and this movie, yeah. in some respects, is extremely although accurate.
0: although there's although it's accurate for one biography that in itself is probably largely (laughs) inaccurate. Okay, Uh, we'll get into that in a second. And then, So basically, they made her a drug addict so they could justify Wyatt Earp's infidelity in the third storyline that should have been cut entirely, which is his romance with the actress played by Dana Delaney. Uh, It's awful. The worst parts in the movie are with her, quite frankly. Uh, And all of it should have been cut. And if this movie had a romance, the only romance that mattered was between Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. A romance of (laughs) friendship, because these guys are the best and most loyal friends to each other. And that's the romance like that is the part that is the part of the movie that fulfills what the romance storyline is trying to do, thereby making the Dana
1: Delaney storyline redundant. (laughs) I'm going to disagree with you. Although for the the first time I for the first time because I've seen Tombstone a million times it yeah. pops up on the TBS so many times and it's, it's so much fun to watch it and it actually is, it's actually one of my first questions. Okay, uh, hit I, me. I think. It, um... Well, I can't even read my own handwriting. Okay, so second. let me just the, the, the question. Yeah. The question you basically have now I remember it. Yeah. Have you ever seen a more effective portrayal in a popular entertainment movie of a friendship between two men.
0: Of male friendship. Yeah.
1: I could probably think of
0: some... If, I tried. If pressed. Yes. But it's really hard. I mean, the first you go to war movies. You just think of war movies, right? Is there anything in a war movie that depicts friendship? I'm drawing blanks there. I'm sure you I could get killed over this. You usually not have
1: two, two such strong characters yeah. with such a strong bond. Yeah. You know? And that's not really... It is. It's basically yeah. what the movie's about, but that's not yeah. where the action's derived, yeah. which is even harder to do. I mean, you'll, you'll see some artsy movie where, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know t- you're the closest of two men over the years. Yeah. But this movie's trying to do—it's trying to entertain the audience with a lot of terrific uh, gun battles and trying to depict, you know, two men who have this incredible, tight uh, friendship— and there's no cracks or fissures in it, which is, yeah. I think, a lot of movies
0: and stories about friendship, there's always a moment of tension. With, will they remain friends? Yeah. There is never any doubt in this movie. This is pure, loyal friendship.
1: Okay, so. In fact, when, 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 uh, when, when Wyatt Earp says uh, right before the, the yeah. gunfight near the OK Corral, He says, you know, we didn't think that this was your fight or or we didn't want to get you involved. And he says, that "That is a hell of a thing to say to me. Yeah, I love how he says that.
0: We'll get get into all the lines of dialogue in this movie before we just start randomly spouting them off. Okay, so what I was going to say was instead of going on about this movie, about the things I don't like, because it is certainly an imperfect movie. And I have described this movie to people in the past when recommending it. I call it a movie movie. And when I say a movie movie, and I may have mentioned it on this podcast before, but here's what I mean. A movie movie is a movie that's trailer goes like this. This movie's got it all. Adventure, (laughs) excitement, action, romance. Like, you know what I mean? It's a movie that is trying to incorporate all the elements of stories all in one, and not usually (laughs) for the better. That being said, the good parts of this movie are simply astounding. And usually, it's in the writing. There are so many great lines of dialogue in this movie, and so many great moments, that we're not going to do a best line. We're just going to talk about all of them. <laughs> okay. So Steve, hit me with one first.
1: Um, <laughs> I love it when he says to Ike. Um, that he Ike is mm-hmm. Ike Clanton, played yeah. by Stephen Lang, is of the Cowboys. big, like lost twelve hands hands in a row, and he's he's drunk and to he's Doc angry. To, to Doc, I beg your pardon. To Doc Holiday, and Doc Holiday can't contain himself. He wants to goad him. Yeah. You know, uh, he says. Um, You know, maybe poker isn't your game. Yeah. I know. Let's have a spelling contest. And, of course, that makes him all the more angry. And he's cracking up when he says it. Uh, uh, Doc Holliday, he is so lethal to every character who's in opposition to him because he doesn't care. He never (laughs) loses any encounter in the movie ever.
0: Doc Holliday does not lose a single verbal or physical encounter in this movie. He wins, quite literally, Every scene. He's the best man. He's the best
1: man at everything. That's true. Speaking
0: of like Clayton, all right, so we're just going to go back and forth on great lines of this movie because this is what you have to do when talking about this movie. The scene, when I really realized that Stephen Lang was going for it is when um, I believe, but I don't remember exactly, Wyatt Earp is arresting uh, Curly Bill for shooting the town's deputy, okay? This old man played by, you said, Harry Carey Jr.? Yeah. Yeah. And basically... Stephen Lang is trying to get, uh, he's trying to threaten, uh, Wyatt Earp in letting Curly Bill go and White Earp takes his gun and he puts it right to Stephen Lang's head. Okay. And he says something to the effect of, you know, you can all bum rush me at once, but not before I make your head into a canoe.
1: <laughs> and
0: the character played by Thomas Hayden Church kind of, you know, cause there's like you know, twenty of them versus one of White Earp, he says to uh, to Ike who's got the gun to his head, he goes, he's bluffing. bluffing. And Ike goes, I'm gonna I'm gonna act. He goes, No, he ain't bluffing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's he is he is sweating profusely. He's the sweatiest character yeah. in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just the way he goes, No,
0: he ain't, he ain't bluffing. The thing I like so much about Stephen Link's performance is he has mm. absolutely no problem whatsoever being a sniveling, reviling character. He doesn't try to justify his character at all. He doesn't try to make his character cool. He doesn't try to make anything appealing about his character. He makes his character the lowest
1: of (laughs) lowlifes. People have seen this kind of guy. Yeah. The guy who, when when faced with somebody who who he thinks is weaker, bullies him. When he's faced with somebody who's stronger, snivels. Yeah. Yeah crawls for forgiveness yeah. you know he, he, you're right, he, he, right. he's and, he's absolutely perfect in and by world. the way
0: his moment of utter realization of the danger he's in in that moment is also very related to my favorite moment in the next movie but we're we're not gonna i'm not gonna spoil that yet okay but i want you to know ike clayton's line of no he ain't bluffing <laughs> is directly related to my favorite not directly but indirectly related to my favorite moment in the next movie.
1: Okay. Steven really Give me another moment. line. Do you remember there's so I many I love when he when he confronts Billy Bob Thornton. He is a he who is you a, didn't mention in the cast. I did. I did, oh, did? Okay. he's virtually so unusual because this was before he lost all that weight. Yeah. So he's kinda heavy. He plays a, a uh, you know a, a really angry belligerent gambler who's taken up in this what was once the the, the best bar. the best fancy bar in, in but he scared everybody away with his intimidating act and Wyatt Earp goes right over to him and starts slapping him around and uh, the guy folds sort of like Stephen Lang but not as memorably as Stephen Lang no. slaps him around and he says something to, to the effect of. Are you going to just do... Are are, are you going to do something or just stand there and bleed? Yeah. And he's so formidable. This guy who you could tell a moment ago, the Billy Bob Thornton character, would intimidate most people. Yeah. There's not even a thought... Uh, that he could stand up to Wyatt Earp when he says that line. So like, This is line. a great scene because it's in the beginning
0: of the movie, and it immediately establishes how tough Wyatt Earp is. Because yes. here's a guy at the card game pretending he's tough. He's slapping everyone around. He's just being a jerk to everyone. He's being a bully, a classic bully. Yes. And Wyatt Earp just immediately stands up to him. And first the guy's like, he's like, he's like I'm getting off tired tired of you, mister. And, uh, and Wyatt Earp's like, he's like, what are you going to do then? throw down and the guy goes well yeah I'm real scared and wider goes you bet you are <laughs> like it's just so good like wider just completely outmans this guy and then it leads into another great scene right after where it's the very first scene between wider Earp and Doc Holliday and you know he says hey Doc I didn't know you were here in town and Doc's going like oh yeah I am here and as and as he's greeting Doc Holliday for the first time in the movie Billy Bob Thornton this. comes back with a shotgun and then Doc Holliday looks at him he goes well, Ed, where are you going with that shotgun? <laughs> and then Ed goes, he goes, Billy Bob Thorne goes, oh, I didn't know you was here in town,
1: Doc. And he goes, yes, I am. And then, and then so of course, uh, you know. He, uh, mentions that he mentions that he's in the presence of uh, Wyatt Earp, which yeah. further scares him because yeah. he didn't realize he was talking to Wyatt Earp So earlier. then, of
0: course, Wyatt Earp tells uh, Billy Bob Thorne to put the shotgun down. Mm. Okay, uh...
1: Give me. Was that your line? Or, that was you. That was okay. you.
0: All right. So now for well me. before
1: you before you end okay. before you finish, the, the the end of the scene yeah. where he is completely emasculated, where Billy Bob Thornton's completely emasculated Doc Holliday says you can go now yeah he goes <laughs> he goes
0: oh I forgot you were there and you yeah, can go right. now <laughs> just so.
1: Beautifully this guy, dismissive. this guy is
0: horribly unmanned to the point that when he's put his shotgun down and is groveling away, he actually says, "Thank you, thank, thank you." Yes, for, he does for letting him live because he just had no idea who he was dealing with. Okay, um, so my next thing is another great Doc Holiday moment. So there's a character in this movie. His name is Johnny Ringo. He is a very fast, very deadly, very psychotic character. He's a member of the the the, the Cowboys Outlaw Gang, and him and. Uh, Val Kilmer are very clearly set up for a showdown at some point in this movie. From the very beginning, it's very clear these two guys are headed towards a reckoning, which is funny because another one of the great lines of this movie is uh, towards the end of the movie when Wyatt Earp is hunting down all the cowboys for, I'm going to spoil something, uh, killing his brother. One of the other characters goes, well, I I don't understand why he wants uh, vengeance. And then uh, Doc Holliday goes, oh, it's not vengeance. He's after it's a reckoning. <laughs> but anyways, so uh, so Johnny Ringo is super drunk, he's upset. He goes down to the street and he's basically calling out Wilder for uh, for a showdown, for a duel. He's like he goes he, he's like, "Get out of here, you sniveling coward." You know, he, he's trying to he's trying to goad Wilder into having a showdown with him. And Doc Holliday at this very moment is on some porch getting shaved by a barber and he kind of stands up and he and he's got his guns on him, and he goes to to uh, to Johnny Ringo, and he goes, "I'll be your huckleberry." <laughs> and he's basically saying, "Oh, I'll I'll do the showdown for you." Now, Curly Bill, who recognizes how drunk Michael Bean is, knows that he can't take Doc Holliday, who one of them is the fastest gun in the West, right? So he kind of he says to you know Johnny Ringo, "Get out of here, Johnny! Like you're too drunk." Like, and he pulls him away. So after once again, Doc Holliday has won another verbal encounter. He goes back. To uh, to the barber, to the barber, and he, goes, right. and he goes, Baba, you may proceed. <laughs> and he like kicks his feet back up. I mean, he is just
1: constantly winning
0: in this movie. Steve, give me a line.
1: This, yeah, this is this is a kind of an old pro performance. You don't yeah. see usually see in somebody hard who's about to screw up, By the way, hard to screw up this this performance, this role, like mm-hmm. hard to do these lines badly.
0: It's a real credit to Val Kilmer that he added to it. That yes. he didn't just win purely off the the strength of the script, but he in fact adds to it and it's most clear he's adding to it in two retrospects, all right. Uh-huh. Or two aspects. I don't know if it's retrospects so the right word. Um but two aspects. One, um when uh it's his dying, right? So he I have to imagine, Steve, how exhausting it is to play a character who is coughing that often. Um uh-huh. Like, I just think about you're the actor, right? And you've got to be constantly coughing like you are dying all throughout the movie for God knows how many takes. And Val Kilmer completely commits to this. He is coughing nonstop throughout this entire movie. And I just imagine how exhausting that is. So that is one mm. element of the script that he is really adding to. And the second is, his he does see mill. Yeah. There's no question. His about death it. scene. The second is his death scene. If all of his other lines in the movie could potentially only be given one way or another, the death scene could be given a million ways. And the way he does it, that's all him. Um, I won't yeah. get into it, but the point is he is adding to this performance. Yes, it is a great written role full of incredible one-liners, but he is doing what all great artists do. And he is adding
1: to the role. Absolutely. That same year. And here comes another yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan came out with Wyatt Earp. Yeah, bigger, more expensive. We're going to talk about this. Well, I watched it for this podcast. Did (laughs) you? I really did. What I was going to ask you is, uh, you know, um, what do you think? Compare it with Dennis Quaid's performance. As as, okay, so let's talk about this. I had never seen Wyatt Earp before.
0: I know that Wyatt Earp came out after Tombstone.
1: I think it was the same year. Same year, but I think it was
0: like right after. The point is this. All right, the greatest loser in basically here is the deal, right? Wyatt Earp, the movie, is the prestige version of this movie, okay? It is the idea of, let's get Kevin Costner, let's get Lawrence Kasdan, let's make a super sweeping epic, and let's win all the Oscars. And in fact, what they created was an absolute dud. Just a completely terrible, boring movie with no magic to it whatsoever because nobody in the movie is having any fun. That being said the best performance in that movie is from Dennis Quaid. Absolutely. Which makes it all the sadder that Dennis Quaid is the biggest loser in the movie simply because of Val Kilmer.
1: Because like, <laughs> people always will yeah, always compare, compare Kevin is Costner, Doc Holliday. Kevin
0: Costner's not good in the movie, but he doesn't look as profusely bad in comparison to Russell Crowe, who is much better, by the way, as Dennis Quaid looks compared to Val Kilmer. So oh, you mean
1: Kurt Russell? Sorry, to Sorry,
0: yeah, yeah, sorry. So... So Dennis Quaid
1: gives the best performance in that movie, and yet somehow comes off looking the worst. Because if if you've seen both yeah. movies, you remember yeah. how much you loved Val Kilmer. Exactly. As good as this movie is, um, when Val Kilmer's not in it, it comes down a little. Oh, of course. There's you know? no question. But it's still very good even without him. Absolutely. Yeah. Unlike um, uh, Wyatt Earp, there would be no uh, reason to watch it if Dennis Quaid wasn't in it, because and that movie bore yeah. me blind and dennis Quaid's not dennis enough
0: quaid. dennis quaid is not enough reason to watch it by the way it's not like you say you know without dennis quaid there's no reason no there is no reason to watch the movie <laughs> um you know it's really interesting i wanted to talk about wider um for a variety of reasons in a while
1: it's been a while here's
0: what i want to say about wider the movie and wider the man wider the man spent his entire life trying to get wider the movie made <laughs> okay um Yes. Everything widerp Earp said might have been a lie, quite frankly, with the exception of the shootout at the OK Corral, which did happen. Mm-hmm. But maybe not the way people remember. In fact, the great show uh, Deadwood, which is one of my all-time favorite TV shows, actually brings widerp Earp onto the show for one episode to call him out as a fraud, where he's just literally a guy who goes around places lying about what he's done, which is, by the way, what the real widerp might have been doing. He might have just been a straight-up liar. Um, so the question is... Which movie does the real Wyatt Earp prefer? Now, both these movies came out after he's dead, right? But if he saw both of these movies, which one do you think he'd be the most satisfied with?
1: I'd have to see the uh, Wyatt Earp again, and I'm not going to. because i got to <laughs> say it's Tombstone. <laughs> the, well, the first time I saw Wyatt Earp, I thought, I don't think I ever want to put myself through this again. It's yeah. It was so dull. Mm-hmm. They both... Pr- <laughs> I I don't know how accurate they are. Apparently a biography came out. There's one biography they're they're both based off of. uh, Well, uh, I read about something that came out around the turn of the century or something that kind of suggested that he was uh, more a a pimp, thief, and murderer than a lawman. But that's not
0: the one they're based off of.
1: They're based off of one specific biography Mm -hmm. that turned
0: around his entire reputation and made him the figure. Oh, really? cleaned it up.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. They're
0: both based off of one very specific celebratory masturbatory biography about Wide
1: Earp. Well people who um apparently historians tend to think that um it was fairly accurate. The one depicting him negatively may have had some validity, unfortunately. But who knows? You know Here how Here's what's crazy
0: about Wide Earp the movie, okay? tombstone the movie starts three quarters of the way through the plot of the movie wider that's how bad wider is the fact that wider they didn't recognize they They thought they thought that we were interested in his entire life leading up to tombstone and nobody's interested
1: in that i mean so see i'm gonna do that reminds me of the the the, the classic line you're gonna tell me your whole life story no just the interesting parts right so that's what tombstone did
0: they told only the interesting parts um that being said, I'm because we're talking about Wide Earp, I'm going to do my bad pitch now. Okay, okay? and my bad pitch isn't a bad pitch. Uh, I think it's a good pitch, right? And here's my pitch. Let's assume Wide Earp came out first, which I don't think it did. Here's my pitch to Hollywood executives: It's Wide Earp meets something people like and will make money. Like that's it. <laughs> it's like literally they just like every. It, that's all it is. It's just it's Wide Earp r- meets something good. Like it, it, it's really all it comes down to. Um. You know, it's just a really great example of Kevin <laughs> Costner not being good in Westerns, right? I love Kevin Costner, but the thing about Kevin Costner is that his best roles are things like Field of Dreams, when he's a little bit of a helpless fool, not when he's a tough
1: guy, honorable dude. He Would you no- say hapless? Hapless, that's <laughs> because right. Because his his tradition, acting tradition yeah. mostly came from uh, James Stewart. Yeah,
0: no he's a good James Stewart.
1: He's a terrible manly hero. Um, yeah. I, he I, is a dull actor. Yeah. You look at him in the I bodyguard. Like, I like Kevin Costner, by the way. I do too, but yeah. you, you put him in the bodyguard. Yeah. He he was so boring. Yeah. I think he tried to. He said he tried to channel Steve McQueen. He didn't channel his charisma. Yeah. Okay, a few more great lines, uh,
0: mostly from Val Kilmer. One, it's during the shoot at the OK Corral, right before it. Best scene in the movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and Val Kilmer stumbles out and Thomas Hayden Church says to him, He goes, What are you doing here, Doc? And he goes, he goes, uh, he goes, You're too drunk. Hell, you're probably seeing double of me right now. <laughs> and then and then Val Kilmer says, That's all right. I brought two guns, one for each Each of (laughs) you.
1: No, that's great. And in
0: that scene, there's one line, and the only reason I like the line is because of how the entire scene is set up, where basically it starts doing the thing where it's cutting between nervous faces, you know, getting ready for a duel, a shootout, and it keeps cutting. And at one point, it keeps cutting back and forth between Val Kilmer and Thomas Hayden Church. And at one exact (laughs) moment, where you can tell that Doc Holliday wants this shootout to happen, he winks At Thomas Hayden Church. And all of a sudden, Thomas Hayden Church's expression changes to just one of, like, utter dismay and anger. And at that exact moment, Wyatt has seen what has happened. He has seen the wink, and he has seen the reaction. And then he just goes, oh, my
1: God. (laughs) He knows exactly. And then they all start shooting at each other. He knows exactly what Doc Holliday has done. Doc Holliday is fearless in this movie. He he shows no fear. Wyatt Earp does. Wyatt Earth shows so usually rage, but he he appreciates yeah. what what happens. He yeah. he's got this big, huge, almost operatic turmoil when he finds out that yeah. you know someone close to him has been shot, yeah. been shot and killed. Uh, Val Kilmer's uh, Doc Holiday doesn't fear anything because he wants to die he's before tuberculosis tubercul- yeah. tuber- he doesn't want to die from tuberculosis he wants to be sh- he wants to be shot killed and killed yeah. he wants to be dying in a blaze in a of gambling. glory yes. in a
0: blaze of glory he yeah. doesn't what he doesn't want to do is die in a hospital bed with yeah. his shoes off which is exactly in the last scene how he's dying and as a result he asks Russell Crowe to leave him and never returns that Russell Crowe see- Kurt- sorry why I keep saying Russell Crowe Kurt Russell there's well there's yeah. there is yeah. a parallel so, so that he actors. won't so that Kurt Russell won't see him dying in such a pathetic way right mm. just like in a hospital bed uh, more lines there's a scene he's super sick he has been told by his doctor not to get out of bed and his woman his his whatever you want to call big her big nose Kate big nose Kate his Rachel. lady right is basically convincing him to get out of bed and to go gambling again and he goes, "Was he say to her? He goes, my dear. He goes, he goes, you are an angel or you are Satan himself. or you may be the Antichrist. or you may be the Antichrist. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's so good. And, and then, uh, let's see, any, any other line? Oh, yeah, sorry. Got to do it. So Bill Paxson also is in, uh, he definitely can punch his ticket to say that maybe he has the best line in the movie, right? So, really? Yeah, so Bill Paxson, I don't remember at one, one point in the movie, is trying to strike up. A casual slash deep conversation with his brothers about dying and like what you see when you're dying and how he's heard that people see a light in a tunnel when they're dying. Flash forward like forty five minutes. Uh, Morgan uh, Bill Paxton has just been shot through the back. Okay, he's on a pool table. He is dying. Uh, Russell Crowe is holding his hand, and Bill Paxton goes, "Hey, why? Remember what I told you about seeing a light." When you're dying, and and uh, Russell, Crow- uh, sorry, Kurt Russell goes, yeah, Morgan, and he goes, that ain't true. I can't see a thing. <laughs> Isn't
1: that interesting? <laughs> it's so good. It, it it is good, but it's it goes against it goes against the grain of the movie trying to mythologize everything. He's demythologizing it's great. death. That's why it's so good. It's so bleak. It it gives you it gives you a little grounding. I think
0: it's a top five line yeah. in the movie.
1: Quite All honestly, right. um, I want to go over the line. I'm your Huckleberry. Okay. He doesn't say, I'm your Huckleberry. According to IMDb, God bless IMDb trivia. Is it, I'll be your Huckleberry? No, he says, I'm your hucklebearer. Oh.
0: And what that's meant,
1: what's that meant, uh, uh, apparently, according to uh, IMDb, if you, you got, he's, um, uh, Val Kilmer has this really th- thick southern accent, which yeah. apparently was true. Yeah. So, Y's become Ahs. I'm your Huckleberry, <laughs> you know, instead of Huckleberry. But what is a Huckleberry? A pallbearer oh that's what he means now i this is this is what i read it makes always, a lot more sense yeah it does make a lot he's about to kill the guy yeah i'm gonna be your i'm gonna i'm gonna you know carry you out uh yeah. you're gonna go uh feet first yeah a, i don't know if that's true but i read it somewhere so it must be true on the internet i think it makes way more also, sense here's something we have to resolve okay yeah. please uh, one of the one of the bad guys after after he's uh, mm-hmm. after uh, Doc Holliday slaughtered so many people at the OK Corral, the last one he kills is a man who says, uh, uh, "I don't know." Goads him
0: mm-hmm.
1: into ah. I- I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Val pulls a gun. Pulls the trigger, yeah. and it's blank. Yeah. The guy thinks he's got a drop on him. I'll get you now, and he said, and and um, uh, Doc Holliday says, "You're a daisy if you do." Yeah. yeah. Now that's some sort of contemptuous remark, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I guess you're going to be pushing up daisies, right? Yeah. You're going to be feeding daisies. I thought it just meant like good for you if you do. Oh, I I just figured um when you're about to die. You're going to be pushing up daisies, but later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Where uh, jo- where uh, they have a final showdown between Johnny Ringo and Val Kilmer. Yeah. Ringo comes. He tells uh, Wyatt Earp, "Come meet me. Yeah. We're gonna fight. We're gonna settle this. Yeah. Okay. And he's real happy because he knows he can beat Wyatt Earp. He's faster than he is. Yeah. And he sees him approaching, and he's got a smile on his face until he sees that it is Val Kilmer. Yeah. Okay. And and then he and then Val Kilmer in that shit-eating grin of his yeah. says. Why, Johnny? You look like someone just walked over your grave. Yeah. <laughs> he, by the way, grave is spelled. Is, 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 he says it with two uh, two yeah. syllables. You're grave, <laughs> and then he says you're no Daisy after he kills him. When he him. shoots him, he says you're no Daisy. So now I'm confused as to what the word Daisy is supposed
0: to mean. I really, I I'm not it sure. Out. However, I want to say a great thing about that duel. Is how long it takes Johnny Ringo to die after being shot in the head.
1: It <laughs> he's is, walking. He's he's almost been, following him. He's just like he's uh, like having a Doc. seizure,
0: and he's like he's like he's like <laughs> come on. So basically, you know, Val Kilmer Doc Holliday outduels Johnny Ringo, shoots him right in the temple, right, and then uh, Johnny Ringo starts walking like kind of like Frankenstein, mm. right? He's just like oh, he's like choking and coughing, and as he's walking towards uh, Val Kilmer uh he's like come on. Come on, like he's like I don't know why he's like it's like the most life you've seen out of Doc Holliday in the movie, mm-hmm. and then and then Johnny Ringo falls over, and then uh, and Doc Holliday goes, "You're no Daisy, you're no Daisy at all.
1: You're just a little high strong." He goes, he goes,
0: he goes, <laughs> goes poor soul. He was just too high strung
1: <laughs> I get the feeling that he felt sympathy only because he's dying. Oh, you know, he's about to die, and maybe he felt some sort of commiseration. Well, with remember
0: him. he he, sa- he says looking at Johnny Ringo is like looking in a mirror. Okay, Steve. Oh, I don't remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's I have very a bad pitch. Be- it's when he first meets him. Yeah, I was going to ask for your bad pitch. Really bad pitch. This yeah. is a bad pitch. I- I'm proud of how bad this is. Okay, good. Unforgiven meets Animal House. Oh, yeah. No question.
0: <laughs> this is a good one. Yeah, there's no question. That's it. This is a very, um, thea- when I say theatrical, I mean like, this is like a, a Broadway troupe. I mean, there's just so many cast members, and even though Kurt Russell is the lead, this feels like a play. This never feels more like a play than in one of the worst moments in the movie, which is after Morgan is killed, uh, Kurt Russell runs out into the street, okay? And he's just, like shouting. He's like, ah! And Dana Delaney... Doesn't have an Oscar clip all over it. <laughs> yeah, and Dana Delaney runs out in, to him in the rain. She's like, Wyatt! And then he's like, get away from me! Don't you see? He's like, get away from me! And then she's like, ah! And she, and she, she literally... Shirley basically runs on stage, stage right, yeah. and then runs off stage, stage left. I mean, it is so, you could see it on stage, the way she runs on and runs off, and it is not to the movie's credit. Okay, any final words on this movie, and specifically in regards to Val Kilmer and his
1: career? I, I, I think he could, if this were the studio system, yeah. he would have he, he gotten narrow-casted and he would have had a fantastic career. Yeah. He would eventually won an Oscar for that type of role. I think it it took uh, it took guts for him never to repeat that performance, which he never did.
0: I think that would not have happened because, quite frankly, best really charming, handsome best friend roles aren't there. Usually, charming usually best friend roles are hapless fat guys. Let's be real. Like usually well, sometimes
1: the, usually the lead is handsome and his best friend is charming and comedic relief. But in but in old Hollywood, you know, you'd had the Ronald Reagan character who was always the handsome best friend, but uh he, he was he was a lesser character, yeah. you know. And and he he never had the kind of acting, the draw yeah. as the main character. I, I really I really I think it says something that he, he didn't try to repeat himself.
0: I think today he would have had a career if he was 25 today, more closely resembling Christian Bale's. That's yeah, what man. I think. Because the thing about Val Kilmer, just like you said about Brad Pitt, character actor in a leading man's body. Mm-hmm. And I think nobody did that better than um, than Christian Bale. Christian Bale really was able to be a leading man and a character actor at the same time. And the thing we know about Val Kilmer is that guy loves putting on costumes. This is a big-time costume wearer. This this guy <laughs> likes acting. He yes. He likes make, making movies about acting, and that is my segue into our next movie. Steve, any other things before, uh, before we close out on Tombstone? No, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched about the next one. All right, Tombstone, great movie. The next movie is from the second half of Val Kilmer's career, which is little talked about, little known. Not only just this movie, but the entire second half of his career, right? But I feel this movie is the best movie of the second half of his career, and that is David Mamet's Spartan.
1: Where's the girl? Sir, we believe she was abducted, that she was taken to a bordello. Here in Boston? She may have been delivered for sale. and sent down the pipeline and overseas to get to her father. What do they do when they
0: realize who they took?
1: They kill her. I've got two
0: days before the press wakes up. I need a man, a man who can unquestionably follow orders. I am here to get the girl back, sir. And there is nothing I will not do. What's this? She signs all of her letters with that. She sees things cockeyed like Picasso.
1: They took her. Who is they? I don't want to get in trouble. She was here. Where is she? You're going (laughs) to leave your life or you're going to leave the information in this room? There's a slave trade going on of American women.
0: Her father was in town. They took the Secret Service detail off her to take him tomcatting. She was snatched while he was cheating on his wife. It comes out. They lose the election.
1: I did my part.
0: What part was that?
1: They gotta get her back.
0: There is no they. They'll let her die.
1: They told him she was dead. She's alive.
0: Sir, I saw the sign.
1: Let it go. Stop looking for her. It goes beyond that. We would have let her come home, but you had to put on your thinking cap. What if we had to go off the meter? I need
0: to ask you to do something.
1: What we've had to do all these years. Who are you?
0: Okay, Steve, Sparrow is your choice. But I wanted it to be my choice. And the only reason I chose Tombstone, which by the way, I don't know if Tombstone's a hidden gem, but it's as much of a hidden gem as The Thing is. If you were able to do The Thing last episode, then I should be able to do Tombstone.
1: I, I think that's fair because, although the movie didn't really make money initially, yeah. like The Thing, it uh, it's grown in popularity. However... People, people love it now.
0: However, if ever there was a hidden gem on this podcast, no. it is Spartan. Um... Steve, why don't you not only hit us with the facts about Spartan, but hit us with, you know, maybe after the facts, why you chose it. Okay. Beyond the fact it's an awesome kick-ass hidden gem.
1: (laughs) Um, Spartan is rated R. It was released uh, March 12th. Both of these movies are rated R. But you know what? Tombstone doesn't have an R-rated feeling. Oh, it's super rated R to me. It's
0: really you watch a guy take a bullet to the temple and then stagger around for like fifteen <laughs> seconds,
1: having a ah. They were doing that in the Godfather because Godfather was rated R too. Yeah, okay. fair, fair enough. A lot lot of bullets flying. It was released in March. It was released in March twelfth, two thousand four, by Warner Brothers. Now that's a problem because March twelfth tends to be well back then was sort of a dumping ground. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but I think this movie came out sort of like on the art house circuit. Okay. Despite its despite its you know uh, its genre, which okay. is action, action thriller. It was released by Warner Brothers through TriStar. It runs a, an hour, 46 minutes. It was written and directed by the reason I chose this movie, David Mamet. Okay. It has David Mamet's spare, precise, hard as nails, um, incredible witty dialogue. Um. Besides, uh, besides, uh, Kilmer, it stars. It's funny because unlike Tombstone, um, there's only really there's only Val Kilmer. Nobody has that real star turn in this movie. You have Derek Luke, William H Macy, all of whom were really good. An actress called Tia uh, um, Texada, which I I, th- I think it's called Texada. I might have misspelled it. Uh, who's very good as a hard as nails uh Marine who uh. Um, the Val Kilmer character in this mm-hmm. Clark Gregg. Of course, we know him from all the uh, the, the, the silly uh, Marvel movies, but he's a really good actor. He's great in it. Yes, he's he's he's, he's not in it much, but he's great in he's it. He's only got a few few lines. Yeah. Uh, all these characters seem to be hard as nails. Ed O'Neill and even a very young Kristen Bell, who's hard as nails in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Everyone's hard as nails in this movie. <laughs> the tagline is, "She's missing."
0: That's pretty good. Not I have that. a better tagline. Ready? Go ahead. Where's the girl? Where's the girl? Where's the girl? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll get into that. The, uh, the movie cost about twenty million dollars. I'm a little surprised mm-hmm. uh, that they were able to secure that much funding, um, considering it's. Uh, I well, yeah. you know what? No, no, okay. Twenty million sounds about right. It only made four point four million here in total, eight million um, U.S. plus international, which means it was a flop. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, Steve, why'd you pick the movie? David Mamet. Go on. This movie is so pleasurable listening to the characters. You can't wait to hear the hard-bitten semi-wisdom mm-hmm. of, of the Val Kilmer character. I mean, yeah, the Val yeah. Kilmer character. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're, they're, they're absolutely wisdom from his limited context. But as we see this movie expand— yep basically through the Derek Luke character. Mm-hmm. I said nobody else shines. Yeah. The Derek Luke character is extremely important. He looks yeah. like just like a, yeah, a negligible best friend, but he is an extremely important character because he agitates uh, 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 Val Kilmer, the Val Kilmer character. I think his name is Scott. Yeah. I don't remember if it's the first or last name. He agitates Scott's thinking. Well, let's... So let me do the plot Okay, right okay Okay. Because you were getting more into plot specifics. I was more curious
0: about just what about this movie you enjoyed, but let me do the plot first. Okay. This movie takes place where Val Kilmer is, and I, got, I want to say this right, he is part. He is a major gunner, a master, sorry, he is a major gunner, or sorry, he is a United States Marine Corps Force, Force Recon Master Gunnery Sergeant acting as a selection cadre member for Delta Force. That's here's, quite
1: a title on your resume. You here's know. what
0: this means. He is a part of a real thing called Delta Force, which is basically off the books Secret agents, even though they're, they're, they're branched through the military, mm-hmm. these are guys who do high-level extractions, assassinations, snatching grabs. Like, these are the top of the top um, United States, like, kind of like drop a guy in a dangerous situation and he'll know what to do, okay? Is this
1: based on something real? Yes, yeah, this is real. Th- this is uh no, well is, researched real. Yeah,
0: so I Doesn't I re- so, yeah, this is all real. This this force really exists, okay? So Val Kilmer is one of these guys, right? Just think MacGyver meets Rambo meets James Bond, okay? So the movie starts, and basically he is helping choose another member for this special fighting force. And he is given a piece of he, like he's about to leave he's given a piece of paper you think he's like going home and then he immediately gets on a helicopter where he is shuttled to Boston where he learns that the president's daughter has been kidnapped that is what this movie is about and he is tasked with getting her back okay and of course because this is a david mamet movie there is more to it than meets the eye but here is the deal with this movie The character played by Val Kilmer, who, by the way, you don't know his name. Some people call him Bobby. Some people call him John. You really have no idea because all of his names are fakes, all right? This guy is an utter professional, and he lives for one thing and one thing alone, and that is the job. And You give him a mission and he will do anything and everything to accomplish it. And he is not constrained by the bounds of the law, right? And this guy, he has two things at once he is a man who is not thinking at all, except about anything other than the job. And at the same time, a man who is constantly philosophizing about (laughs) the job and his place in the the wide circle of life. He's had a hell of a philosophy for a man who says, I'm not a thinker. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, that is what is so amazing about this movie. And when I first rented this movie with some friends, I think we were hanging out in Cape Cod at the time, we have been quoting the movie ever since because out of all the David Mamet movies this one is my favorite and I find it to be the most quotable and you know see if I came to an epiphany about this movie when I was watching it and also watching The Saint because it was a Val Kilmer movie I had largely skipped over in my life watching The Saint I came to the realization that this that Spartan was finally him making good on The Saint and I will explain The Saint was Val Kilmer's excuse to play an actor in a movie, right? So if you yes. watch The Saint, all he's doing is pretending to be other people. And The Saint's a terrible movie, legitimately terrible, not re- not redeeming. Another very, bo- I saw it when it came out and I can't remember a frame of it. It's what he did after Batman, right? He's wearing costumes, he's acting, it's cheesy, it's bad, he's always playing different people. like he's. But like- it looks like it would be a fun challenge for an actor. Yeah, he's a master of disguise in the yes. movie. In Spartan, this guy is always acting. He is constantly be put into situations where he has to be an actor, okay? And my epiphany was two things. One, this is the good version of The Saint. This is the movie <laughs> he wanted to make when he made The Saint. And two, Val Kilmer loves acting. He loves playing people who are acting. So you're watching an actor play what is essentially a secret agent who in himself is an actor. And the the great thing about this movie is I believe the most important line of the movie is like, also it's one of the first where he's talking to the, the, the woman who is, uh, she's, she's a, she's a Marine of some sort. And, uh, he says to her, like, what do you do? And she goes, I teach hand to hand fighting and knife combat. And he says something like, what does he
1: say? Exactly. He says, her he says, um, don't teach them how to knife fight, teach them how to kill with a knife. That way, when they come up on somebody who's been trained in knife fighting, he can send their souls to hell. Yeah, and then he goes, <laughs> and then he says to her, the, he goes, you, you come up on some son of a bitch with a knife, you send her soul to hell. And then he
0: says to her, the battle is won in the mind. Okay, and this is really important because everything he does after this is just him outthinking the guy next to him. Mm-hmm. He is a master improver. You would assume that this guy would have been an incredible member of Second City. <laughs> Absolutely. Even though everything he's doing is dramatic, <laughs> and you're not used to seeing dramatic improv, he everything he does in every scenario is improv. Okay, so there is a scene yeah. where he has to
1: question to, a uh, Secret Service agent. Yeah. It's the who? very
0: first moment he does improv
1: right it's the very right. first moment he does improv, and for a moment the audience isn't sure yeah. you know uh, if he's gone too far, if everything he's yeah. about he's doing is calculated. You might think that he, the reason he's so outraged about this secret yeah. service man who may have you know so let's fa- let's let's, down let's, the set it up. let's set it up okay
0: the the president's daughter's uh, secret service agent. Um, is being accused of having left his post, but he's swearing that he's left his post. Val Kilmer comes to what I think is actually the Boston University or potentially Harvard football stadium, okay? And they're underneath it, and they've set up like what is underneath the football stadium as like a massive operation for the Secret Service, okay? And the guy running it, Greg Clark, is basically saying to, um, to Val Kilmer, he, you know, says he you know, probably left his post, says he didn't. Can you help us out? So Val Kilmer comes in the room pretending to be another secret service agent. Okay. And the guy is saying, you know, I swear I was at my post. I didn't leave at my, I didn't leave my post. And then Val Kilmer goes, well I was at that post and you weren't there and he goes and he goes, you know, I got two kids and a wife and you weren't and, and he goes, And you aren't gonna sit there line away my pension. Don't you say you were at that post and the guy goes, I was at that post and he goes, You son of a bitch and he tackles him and he punches him in the face, he goes, Don't you say you were at that post and they drag him out of the room and as soon as they drag him out of the room, him and Greg Clark just nod at each other. Just to throw the guy off, so that the guy he's pretending that he's caught the guy lying, when in fact they haven't caught the guy lying because he wasn't lying.
1: <laughs> no, he was lying. He was pulled off his post. He was pulled off his post. Oh, but but he didn't leave it intentionally. Yeah, he's later. He, he was lying. We're getting to the plot yeah. minutia that doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. But yeah. it. it if, the you point go, is, if you wanna if you going to watch it yeah. multiple times, you'll be interested in this podcast. The point is Val
0: Kilmer immediately starts improving when yes. called upon. Um, then the next scene of him It's in, an actor's dream. Yeah. The next scene of him improving is they send him out into the city, okay, to basically find uh the president's daughter's boyfriend. And He's dressed up as, Valkyrie was dressed up as like basically a, like a local Harvard cop. Okay. So, like, imagine like a cop, but who kind of works for the university. And he sees uh, the boyfriend using a screwdriver to get into the girlfriend's uh, mailbox. And he goes, Hey, son, like, what are you doing there, son? And the guy's like, Hold on. They know me. And he's like, Who knows you? And he's like, Them, they, uh, Secret Service. He goes, Well, I don't know you. Like, come with me. He's like, pretending to be this kind of like really blue-collar police officer. Meanwhile, he's getting all the information out of this kid that he needs to continue on with his uh, with his search. By the way, right before this, Greg Clark asks him, how much sleep have you had? And he just says to him, doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. That's all he says. To him. He just shuts him down. Doesn't matter. He's got a job. He's going to do it. They are on the
1: clock. I mean, this is about minutes, not hours, right? What what I like so much about uh, these scenes is the character that Mammon has written calibrates how much violence he seems necessary. He grabs the Secret Service man and throws him on the floor because he knows that's the only way that he can get the truth out of him. Later, he confronts a a lady of the eve, uh, a a madam. Oh, yeah, her, right. Yeah. And also... He shakes her. He shakes her very violently, well, and it might so, be shocking to modern audiences. So even though this well, is only a fourteen-year-old, fifteen-year-old movie, it, it may sh- shock uh, modern audiences how he has no problem grabbing this very slight woman, or elderly knows, woman too, a little older. And yet, with 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 the kid, he knows if you want to get the information, you don't, you know scare him uh, he, shitless. He'll probably lawyer he gives, up.
0: He gives him a, th- a sympathetic ear.
1: Yeah. Actually he, cause, cause apparently
0: the kid and the girlfriend had just broken up. All right. But and then go- there's a, there's another prostitute that he talks. Well, I'm going to get there. Let me yeah. continue. Cause I'm going through his improv acting scenes. Right. Um, but what I was going to say, I think right before, and I already did. Okay, so the next scene, basically, he finds out that the girl has been frequenting a club. And at this club, there is a guy there who sets up men such like around the age of Al Kilmer. We're talking middle-aged men. I, we didn't bring it up before. but i want to bring it up now. We are in the second half of Al Kilmer's career. He is no longer a movie heartthrob. He's now, he's, he's a, I'm not going to call him fat. He's not fat. He's a middle-aged man. Yeah. yeah, who looks like a middle-aged man, he looks like a 12-year-old girl's dad. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't have to work out and have a six-pack. Just like women shouldn't have to be skinny and beautiful for their entire careers, men shouldn't have to look like Sylvester Stallone for their entire life. I remember what Anthony Quinn said
1: uh when, when he was getting on yeah. in years and he's looking around the robert Redford's and the robert de niro's who were the the, the leading yeah. men back then he said where are the actors with the guts yeah right where are the, where are the men who, who, has a, who have a man's figure kilmer is not fat in this movie but he's got a little a, a few extra pounds he looks like a man he looks like a man
0: yes he doesn't look like a young boy like he looks in all his other movies he's not a, he's not a kid in his 20s i look at someone in their 20s now steve and i view them as a kid quite frankly He's no longer a kid. You're there. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. He is a man. Yeah. Okay, so now he has gone to the club. The first improving he does is with the waitress there. And she's like, club's closing. And he goes, I'm looking for my daughter. Have you seen her? And she's like, a lot of guys come here looking for their daughters. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, but and basically he's improving the fact he's he's pretending to be looking for a young girl, like a prostitute, a young, specifically underage prostitute, to get hooked up with. So then he pays his bartender. She points him to the direction of the correct guy. That guy's counting his money, getting ready to leave. And he kind of comes up to him, and he's like, and he says something really strange, and it's kind of meant to like off-put the guy, to like keep him on his toes, but he's like, he's like, I just want to know why a young girl would come home, would be looking for a guy like me. It's
1: really weird. It actually doesn't make sense, but I still really enjoy it. Do you remember that? I do. I do. It's like he's almost like confessing, how yeah. embarrassed he is to be there. Yeah. But you're right, it, it doesn't make any sense because it's not done without a little bit of hostility. Yeah, either. it's weird, but it's good. And the guy kind of shakes him off, right? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he and he leaves. Like he's a weirdo,
0: yeah. yeah. And, and Val him. Kilmer follows him out to his car, right? And he goes, he goes you know, I, I don't think you heard me. I was asking you why a young girl would want to come home with a guy like me. And the guy says something to him like, like, yeah, buddy, like, isn't that all of our issue? And then that guy sees... Val Kilmer's backup, played by Derek Luke, who is the young Marine who basically has been selected for the Delta Force, okay? Uh, Derek Luke has made a mistake. He's made himself visible. And the second the guy sees him, he knows that Val Kilmer is some sort of undercover authority, pulls a gun on Val Kilmer. Here's where a masterful series of of lines happen in a row the first thing is val kilmer disarms him hurts his arm a little bit and the guy goes ah, my arm my arm i think it's broken and i think it's because you <laughs> broke it and then he and then val kilmer takes his arm <laughs> smashes it against a dumpster and goes now it's broken and then the that next, was hilarious then the next thing. thing and for me what is not my favorite line but uh-huh. the line i have quoted the most with my friends Derek luke has now joined him and val kilmer starts going Where's the girl? Where's the girl, Jerry? Jerry, where's the girl? Where's the girl, Jerry? Jerry, where is the girl? He just keeps saying it over and over. And me and my friends have been doing with each other ever (laughs) since. I got my best bud, Pete,
1: and I go, Pete, where's the girl? Where's the girl, Pete? Pete, where's the girl? Okay. He's got it in his mind that that is the most effective way, yeah, right. just, just complete repeti- repetition. He yeah. doesn't do it earlier. He doesn't mm-hmm. do it later. Yeah. That one little mm-hmm. specific um, uh, tick, he thinks, well, and he does. These it, it, all reveal training. Yeah, they all reveal
0: training and expertise of craft, and as yes. David Mamet has famously said, and I think we've said it before on the podcast, there is nothing more exciting than watching someone who is good at their job. <laughs> and Val Kilmer is a master of his job. Now, for the next line, this is the part that revert that that uh, calls back indirectly to Stephen Lang in uh in Tombstone. So the guy's not given up the information that uh, that Val Kilmer needs, <laughs> and Val Kilmer looks at a. Uh, And Derek Luke, he goes, you got your knife? And Derek Luke whips out. He goes, yeah. And he goes, take his eye out. And Derek Luke looks at him like, are you serious? (laughs) And then Val Kilmer goes, you bet your life. And in this scene, right, this calls back where he is utter serious. Just like Russell Crowe was going to kill uh, Ike Clayton, should Mm. they rush him? Val Kilmer means it. He's saying, you are going to take
1: this guy's eye out. That's a great question. When you watch this movie, ask yourself... Does the vow does Scott yes. character, Does he mean it? I, I rewound it uh-huh. five times.
0: Just uh-huh. that line. I kept rewinding it. I couldn't because when he says, he goes, <laughs> he just looks at him and he goes, You bet your life. Yeah. Like he is talking, he is not talking to be heard right. by Jerry, the guy he's interrogating. He is talking to Derek Luke. You right. are going to take this guy's eye out. The laws do not apply to us when we are looking for the president's daughter. And of course, he has made a gamble as well. He has gambled that when Derek Luke comes in with the knife that this guy, Jerry, is going to give up the information, which he does. But I have no doubt in my mind he was going to let Derek Luke take the guy's eye out, and Derek Luke is in the army. He has been told by his commanding officer to do something. He is going to do it. He mm. just needed
1: to make sure.
0: <laughs> it is astounding.
1: It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very intense scene. And and it is will such get, it great will get acting. You, it, it is. It, it will get you thinking, you yeah. know. He he goes back and forth. Yeah. We've seen mostly through this movie where he uses threats and they're just calculations. And he doesn't yeah. intend to go through with them. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. I came to the same conclusion. I think he was gonna. He was gonna let Derek Luke take his eye. Out. The
0: way that Val Kilmer has delivered the line, he is talking only to Derek Luke, yeah. and that's how you know Val Kilmer has made the choice, right? right? Not to act to be heard, but to act directly to Derek Luke to let him know. All right. I am just going to list off a series of events before I stop listing off a series of events. So these sound like plot points, but they're really important because they show you in one night, this is all happening in one night, all the different characters that this guy puts on. Right? So the next thing they do is they go to a high class whorehouse in Boston being run by an Eastern European madam. And this Eastern European madam is giving everyone a hard time. She thinks she's entitled to a lawyer and, uh, And what's his name? Greg Clark says to her, he goes, you know, you're entitled to shit. You're entitled to tell me what you know. (laughs) And then, basically, once Val Kilmer deduces that the president's daughter has been in this room. In fact, he tells one of the young prostitutes who reveals to him that she was there. She doesn't know it's the president's daughter, but she knows the girl they're looking for is there. Because he says to her, he goes, honey, he goes, you got one opportunity to tell me the truth before I walk out that door. But when I do walk out that door, he's like... Like, all the heat is coming. He's like, he's like I'm, si- I'm, tar- I'm signaling you out, and all the heat's coming down I'm on gonna you. I'm
1: going to zero you out. He
0: goes, I'm going to zero <laughs> you out, right? So she goes, I, the girl says, I think that was the girl. She was really sick. He goes back in the other room where the madam is. He shakes her, and he goes, you're going to leave us with the information here, or you're going to leave your life.
1: and that is such
0: (laughs) a wonderful little tidbit that he speaks romanian right this guy has been all around the world
1: what is resume understand oh he's saying do you understand he's saying understand in romanian
0: (laughs) because that woman is romanian it is such a fantastic little tidbit he is not to be messed with it's either romanian or russian serbian i think uh, yeah it's it's some eastern european language but the point is right not only is he going to Tell is he going to shake her and be like you're going to tell us what you're going to leave the information in this room or you're going to mm. leave your life? But then by saying resumish, you now have more character backstory for this guy. He knows, we'll say it's Romanian or Serbian or he he's been to that part of the world. He knows, right? He's he's done something over there. One mm. of the great reviews of this movie, I believe, by Roger Ebert, who really liked this movie. I was talking about the treasure of watching a movie where information about the characters slowly re- reveals itself over time without someone directly being like, well, you know, back in 1981 <laughs> when I was in the Balkans Wars. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like that. It's just little bits of information like that which help add to what is a highly enigmatic character. Okay, so then we got more improv coming. She tells them that a couple men took the girl and basically, he tracks down these men to their beach house, what I think is in Cape Cod. Okay? He comes into the beach house. He doesn't think anybody is there. And all of a sudden, he finds out that one of the men is in the house. And this is what he does. He's been caught red-handed in somebody's house in the middle of the night. The guy just walks like, what the fuck are you doing here? And Val Kilmer starts going, your TV is on. Why is your TV is why is your TV on? This loud in the middle of the night? No, 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 you don't understand. And he just keeps talking. He doesn't stop talking. Once again, this is the training. No, 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 you don't understand. I'm trying to figure out why is the TV on at this time of night? And you got the TV on. He's just buying his time and he's doing it through training. And of course, it ends with him killing all the guys in there. That, for me, there's another very big part of acting in this movie that is much more of a set piece, which involves an escaped prisoner, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into that part. This is just a series of events that occur over one night in which he keeps putting on new characters or doing improv. It is spectacular to watch.
1: Yeah, and you can see that that's, that had to be a huge part of the appeal. Yeah. You know, like Any good actor would sink in this. Now in the same He's playing a good actor. Who's not a professional <laughs> actor,
0: but who is a professional actor because he's being paid to act.
1: He introduces all these different characters either to extract information or to bewilder yeah. and distract. Yeah. And he's really good at it. He's just yeah. fantastic. And yeah. you- a lot of this, this is the writing, yeah. but when you couple an an excellent script with an actor who knows what to do with it. Yeah. You get a movie like this. Has okay.
0: Val Kilmer ever been manlier?
1: Well, you know what? Uh, it's funny because uh, he, he, called, he played a gay detective in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Very manly. And you character. could say yeah. he, it's sort of similar to that. This guy is like your friend's dad,
0: and you just get the feeling your friend's dad is a tough guy. Yeah. But, but all you can see is him making pies. And like mowing the <laughs> lawn. He seems like a suburban dad, but there's something underneath that yeah. makes you think this guy knows how to kill and you can't mm-hmm. put your finger on it. This is what the Val Kilmer character is. He has the look and feel of an ordinary man, but he is, in fact, one of the most dangerous men on the planet. And he's not dangerous because he knows Kung Fu. He's dangerous because, and here is the callback: the battle is won in the mind. He figures things out. He figures scenes yeah. out, uh, yeah. out He figures people out. He's a human computer in some yeah. ways. He's a mentat. He's calculating if in I real do this, time.
1: they're going to do that. Yeah. yeah.
0: He's calculating mm. in real time. I mean, yeah. it is just this movie compromises almost nothing. Like this is, this is a thriller for grown-ups. Yeah. Um, the movie only has one compromise at the very end, which I think is unfortunate. It's the one thing that keeps the movie from being a perfect 10 out of 10, perfect game, you know, no hits at the, you know, no hits at the plate, but we'll get into that later. Let's, let's talk about some of the dialogue here. Okay. okay. For, for one thing towards the beginning, once Kilmer has landed, uh, in the, in the Harvard football stadium, one of the head honchos, I think the head of the secret service, uh, played by Ed O'Neill, Comes around right, and he's and he's basically kind of ranting and hollering. Um, uh, he sees Val Kilmer, and he asks Greg Clark, "Who's this guy?" And because Val Kilmer's character identity is a secret throughout the entire movie, Greg Clark whispers in uh, Ed O'Neill's ear, and then Ed O'Neill just says, "What can you do for me? I need to know, and I need to know now." Just yeah. like that, what a boss! Like. Can you imagine walking into a room, looking at a guy and saying, what can you do for me? I need to know, and I need to know now. It is just... I, I also quote that a line a lot to my friends when I need <laughs> something from them. I'm like, what can you do for me? I need to know. And I need to know now.
1: It it's is almost, almost like he was in the private sector. Yeah. <laughs> not the government. Yeah. And
0: then there's a great part <laughs> where, um, still in this stadium, where Balakilmer needs some money before he leaves on all his various undercover missions. And this woman who's in charge of giving out the money gives it to him. She goes, you can sign here. And he goes, you sign for it. Do you remember that?
1: I do. It's such a great little tidbit. It's, it's, um, like, I'm not taking the responsibility. No, I've got enough on my plate. No, no. It's his
0: identity. His, his, he's not going to ever put pen to paper with a name. Ever. This guy is a secret. That's why his name keeps changing. Now he's not playing a character here because he's, he's, he's he's talking and working with colleagues. But but the fact of the matter is Greg Clark won't even say his name out loud. He's Mm -hmm. got to whisper it in Ed O'Neill's ear. That's why he's saying you sign for it. This is a guy who exists in the shadows. He exists Mm -hmm. off the books. That's the way I took it. Not that he wants to be responsible for the money,
1: but because everything he does is off the books. Well, I I think it's kind of related, you know, I you know, I've got my area of responsibility. Yeah. You're, you're a paper pusher. You worry about that. At one, I, I point,
0: at one point in the movie, literally once they think the girl is gone and like the more formal investigation is wrapping up, Ed O'Neill comes to, to Val Kilmer and he says to him, I need you to go off the clock. And this is basically, now you're going really off the books. Now you're going to be doing some deep undercover stuff here. I mean, it is just fantastic
1: because it all seems so plausible yeah you'll have to watch this movie a couple of times to f- to figure out where the people who betray betray when they start betraying Yeah. this movie is very yeah, it's we're got not to we, complicated. We, we will not spoil this movie I, that's fine that, that's yeah. totally fine um uh, but it, it's it rewards you for paying attention you know so here's what i'm going to say uh this movie for me is almost
0: a grand slam it's almost the perfect game this movie has been criticized and rightly criticized by some critics for having an ending that just ends in a gunfight. And it's not the cerebral way the movie ought to have ended. And I agree with that.
1: Steve, do you agree that the way this movie ends is too conventional? I it is very conventional, especially with the William H. Macy like, well, no, character. no, no, don't give me anything away. I'm not gonna give anything yeah. away, but he does the same typical thing that you would expect, you know. You're giving it away,
0: Steve. You think so? Yeah, you're giving it away. We'll We'll just say it ends in a typical gunfight. And this is a movie that's so great because you've never seen a movie. Imagine the president's daughter is kidnapped. That's the plot of the movie. How many Kung Fu fights are going to be in the movie? Probably 50, right? It's going to resemble Taken. Movies like this are always action movies. This is not an action movie. This is a movie that is meant to resemble the steps that would occur in real life if the president's daughter was kidnapped mm-hmm. and you wholly believe it because it is filled with so much attention to detail where you say to yourself, there's no way David Mamet's making this up. This must be what it's like. So for it to end the way it does in a very, it it ends almost as if it was another movie and that's disappointing.
1: I, I can see that complaint. I, yeah. I, um, you, you you slapped down my attempt to uh to, to really uh get the, the the part that I didn't like but I understand why um, can you do it without giving it away it's the convention of the, now that you know the whole plot let me give it all away let me give it all away yeah, which that, was it, it's not what you would expect from david Mamet. It, it's almost like somebody took over yeah you know?
0: it's and and there's a very unfortunately <laughs> placed swedish news bureau at the exact same moment
1: very conveniently very yeah, convenient Steve, I'm going to go through some. Oh no, go ahead, please. Here's here's what I find fascinating. You you mentioned something earlier okay. about uh, there's nothing better than seeing somebody who's good at their job. Yeah. This movie, for the first part, yeah. pl- applauds the the uh, Kilmer character for yeah. being great at his job. Mm-hmm. The movie concludes it's not enough. Okay. You got to start thinking. Yeah. The point of this movie is. You have to have a conscience and you have to have you, you have to figure out right from wrong. So let me give one of the quick which, which is what deepens yeah. the the characters. There is character development in this movie.
0: And yeah. I'll explain. Derek Luke is trying to explain to Val Kilmer that there is more than meets the eye here and he needs to think critically, not about his mission, but about what his mission actually is right? Val Kilmer thinks he's got one mission. It might be another thing. And here's what Val Kilmer says, which justifies his entire mode of thinking. He right. goes, you got to set your motherfucker to receive. <laughs> he goes, he goes, you got to set your motherfucker to receive. They referring to the bosses. They don't go through the door and we don't ask why. That's not a cost. It's benefit. But because we get to travel light, tell me where to go. Tell me what to do when I get there. That's his whole point. he, yeah. He doesn't. He's already got so much thinking to do. He doesn't
1: want to think more. The whole point of the Derek Luke uh, yeah. character is to break through that, though. That's right. That's absolutely you know, right. They've got to shake. He's he's got to shake this um, just following orders uh, uh, creed that he has.
0: Yeah. Uh, by the way, I have a nitpick here, and I'm not even sure I understand it. It says Kilmer should have let the cop. Oh, this is it. There's a big sort of really actory set piece here in which. Val Kilmer is pretending to be a guy who just held up a liquor store so that he can help break out a convict who's on... So so he can help break out a convict who actually might know where the president's daughter is, right? It's it's a whole elaborate thing. And at one point, um, and I'm not giving anything away, but Derek Luke is shot uh, by this convict, okay? He's not killed, he's just shot. And instead of basically continuing on with the charade, uh, Val Kilmer attends to Derek Luke. And to me, this is a problem for two reasons. One, because there was another cop there who could have done it for Val Kilmer. So that Val Kilmer could have kept on going with the plan. And two, I just feel like that's what the Val Kilmer character would have done. He would have let Derek Luke stay there on the ground bleeding Mm -hmm. and he would have continued on with his mission as it was designed.
1: He abandons Uh, that mission too quickly. Val Kilmer does something that makes that impossible. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that makes the, uh, the whole situation go, go to pot. Uh, you think that, uh, he didn't have to do that. Yeah. It seemed inevitable to me. I didn't, I didn't see how he just got to let the other cop, the other cop could have yeah. called
0: 911.
1: He actually could have, uh, he could have played all, pe- played along with it, but I, I don't think that he knew what the sinister guy, how much he knew. I like just maybe think, maybe he would have deduced that Val Kilmer was in on it. It's and, nitpicking. You know.
0: I see that guy. I see Val Kilmer continuing on with the charade uh-huh. instead of breaking it. Um yeah. another thing, uh, real small nitpick. At one point, they're in the Boston Tunnel in a car and they're like, they're basically like on a laptop, like looking things up on the internet. There's no signal in the Boston tunnel. Okay. <laughs> You're not using a cell phone and a laptop in the Boston tunnel. I don't care if it is you know CIA technology. You're in a tunnel. It's not happening. Okay. (laughs) Now for some quotes. Where's the girl, Jerry? Take his eye out. You bet your life. Here's another great one. He is saying this to Derek Luke uh, because he spots – he basically spots a police officer on their tail or something. And Derek Luke's like, how did you know? And uh, Val Kilmer goes, in the city, always a reflection. In the forest, a sound. And then Derek Luke goes, what about the desert? And Val Kilmer responds, you don't, you don't want, want to go, go in, in the, the desert. desert. And it's so <laughs> that is good. Combined. He's talking about the Middle East, quite frankly. He's talking about the Middle East.
1: Which is where they wind up. Oh, well, I hope they... I haven't given it yeah. too much away. But no,
0: that's uh, okay. And then, he, then the other one is, what can you do for <laughs> me? I need to know, and I need to know it now. Then there's another great part in this movie where, where Val Kilmer is now an absolute boss. He is saying something to one of the subordinates. Like he needs, he, he's telling this, they're in the tunnel actually. They're following one of the, the prostitute slave traders to the beach house. And Val Kilmer is saying to a guy, call off the task force. I'm going in. I'm going in alone. He says it a few times. And then he says to the guy, signal that you heard me. It is such a boss line (laughs) to say to somebody, signal that you heard me. It is such an establishment that I am above you, and I need to know that you understand my command. He does not—he will not take anything for granted. He will not assume that this guy has heard him and potentially endanger his life. Does that make sense? Yes.
1: Professionalism and authority. That's right. By the way, um, this is one of those commanding performances. Yeah. Full of authority. Yeah. My favorite line establish. It's the first line in the movie. I always thought the very first scene... Yeah. ...is one of the most important because the audience doesn't have any expectation. Yeah. You're you're more free to do in that first image, that first scene, more than anything. I guess that's true also with lines. Yeah. The first line comes after the very the very beginning. We find out that Val Kilmer is a trainer, yeah. basically. He's training these Marines... He just saw a Marine fail. Yeah. Okay? He comes up to him, and he says, Val says to this, the, the Marine who's failed, you had your whole life to prepare for this moment. Why aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. That tells you so much about his standards. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What he's going to expect, that he's not sentimental, he's not there to be his analyst, to mm-hmm. help him f- through his feelings. Yeah. yeah. Bottom line, man. It's, it's a
0: great line. So then here's another line. Okay, he's trying to talk to one of his contacts on the underground, I guess. And he goes, "Let me speak to the Chinaman. You tell him the only man ever heard him call on Jesus." <laughs> so basically, he's trying he to holds against. He's him, trying to reach a guy, right? <laughs> and the way that. The person on the other phone knows that, the, that Val Kilmer knows the guy he's trying to reach is by saying, you tell him, I'm the only man who ever heard him call on Jesus. Turns out the guy's not a, to quote the movie Chinaman, but is in fact a Muslim. Yes. And I guess, in a, and the Muslim says, you know, I do this for you because you heard me call on Jesus. It, it, it kind of almost seems like they were in a dangerous moment, uh-huh. and the guy prayed to Jesus and is ashamed of it. It is fantastic. What a,
1: what a small, subtle, yeah, great line. Art and, yeah. art and skill at the same time, man. Okay. This is great. More lines. In a fantastic scene in this movie,
0: when Val Kilmer is, at, is basically at what is perceived... To, what is the Betty Ford Clinic? Everyone thinks the president's daughter is dead, okay? Right. But she might still be alive. And uh, he's come to tell... Uh, the, the president 's daughter the first lady that her daughter might be alive, but in fact he runs into the secret security the, the secret service officer, the the main secret service officer, not the one who left this post, but the main secret service officer for the president 's daughter and she, and she knows that he 's not who he says he is, and basically she, she pulls a gun on him, says, "Put your hands up and then she goes she goes i 'm ten minutes from the bomb squad, so if it 's happy birthday let 's <laughs> do, do it, it now." now.
1: I love that character. She's only in it for that one she scene. She is fantastic. And she has an enormous em- emotional yeah. impact. Not yeah. just she's as tough as nails and as smart
0: this is as my the Val next, Kilmer. This is my next line. Yeah. Val Kilmer is trying to explain that he needs to talk to the first lady. He says, I need to talk to the girl's mother. And once it's become clear that Val Kilmer is someone in you know the intelligence agency or in the army, the Secret Service agent goes, I'm her mother. She gave birth to her I raised her. And then she pulls out a series of, like, sort of photo booth photos of her and the girl as a young child. And it's such a great thing because it makes you wonder how many of these politicians' kids are really raised by their Secret Service agents. It's just a fantastic little detail.
1: It is you kind of you find out um later in the movie just how horrifyingly detached yeah this poor girl is uh yeah. from her parents, yeah, and that is a little bit of a cliche there isn't a lot of nuance, but you know what it does service the plot, okay, another one, so now uh Val Kilmer is recruiting the young knife fighting training
0: officer, the young lady marine, that he met in the beginning, and he's asking her to do something that might get her in trouble to go off the books with him and get the president's daughter back, and she goes. Ain't nobody here but two people in green. Uh, nothing goes beyond that. And then he says it goes beyond it that. It goes beyond that. And she and says she nothing goes beyond, beyond that. that. Yeah. And this is about sort of, this is the Marines code of it all, right? right. This is the idea that if, if you're brothers in arms, you are
1: brothers, right? Mm. Like that, it's just not my favorite line, but it says something about these people do have a code. Related to that is yeah. is, a, is a line where he, he's talking to another Marine. I, I yeah. think it's the Derek Luke character. And maybe he t- tries to want to, Learn something about him, and he's and it kind of kind sort of contradicts that, but yeah. it's perfect for the character. Um, you know, to kind of rebuff yeah. him and to keep him at a distance, uh, Val Kilmer says. Listen, if I wanted companionship, I join the Masons. That's right. You know? That's right. So here's he another wants one. distance. Yeah. He wants distance.
0: Here's another one. He's talking to a guy right before they're about to try and extract the president's daughter uh, from this poorhouse, Quite frankly, and uh, the and the and Balakilmer says something to the effect of "You ready?" And the guy says. You want to gossip or you want to shoot somebody? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that was that so was really good. Really good. All right, the next thing. This is, this is just to make you understand how hard this movie is. Uh-huh. Val Kilmer finds the President's Daughter. He extracts her. When he extracts her, she starts screaming her head off. She just yeah. doesn't know what's going on. He puts his hand over her mouth, and he goes, Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> he doesn't say, How are you? Are you okay? I'm here to save you. The very first thing he says to the President's Daughter is, Shut your
1: fucking mouth. This guy is brutal. Yes. Absent of any uh, sentimentality, he yeah. knows that that's what what, what works. Yeah. Later, yeah. in order to silence her, because she starts screaming, he punches he her, in the, her in the stomach. He punches her in the stomach. Probably knock, not hard, just enough to knock the wind out of her. Because he needs her to be quiet, yeah. because she's screaming. He's totally bottom line. By the way, um, uh, I want to reference back uh, yeah. a little bit to... There's, there's, I think it's an American or, or a Brit. Mm-hmm. He enlists in the Middle East to yeah. help him. Yeah, At one point, uh, things go bad, and uh, they, they have to spring into yeah. action. Scott asks this guy, did you burn me? And he says, uh, I can't don't... say that I did. Yeah. You want to prove it? And then he uses a line that David Mamet wrote like 20 years earlier. The Lord hates a coward, and then they go in. So the
0: idea is Val Kilmer and the guy are going to extract the girl, but something goes wrong, and Val Kilmer says to the guy, did you blow me, or did you, what did he say? Did you burn me? Did you burn me? Like, did you give me up? Yeah. And the guy goes, can't say that I did because he doesn't know if he, maybe he did something accidentally. Right. And then when Val Kilmer he makes, says, maintains his composure. Yeah, when Val Kilmer says, do you want to prove it? He's basically saying, are you ready to get this girl
1: out now? Guns a-blazing. Yeah. And then the guy says, Lord hates a coward. Question, trivia yeah. question. What movie did uh, 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 David Mamet originally write that that line for? No idea. For Sean Connery in The Untouchables. Oh, okay, Well, very well good. Lord hates a coward, so he decides to join Elliot Ness.
0: Well, that guy got that, that no-name <laughs> actor got really lucky. He got a great actor's line instead. Yes, he did. Okay, next thing, Val Kilmer finally gets uh, Christian Bell, the President Star, to like some some dingy hidden you know motel room in the Middle East, and he asks her, "How are you?" And she goes, oh, "I'm sick." And then he goes. It's no, it's just a formal question. He doesn't actually care. It's so good. He doesn't really want to know. It's so good. Uh that's it. That's all my quotes. Steve, you got any? That was a lot of quotes, but god, they're good.
1: Well, I did I did like um Derek it's not uh, Derek Luke says to him um after something went went terribly wrong. Yeah. He said um I f- I fucked up. Yeah. I was trying to help. And and uh and uh, Val Kilmer says, well, that's usually when people fuck up. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> he doesn't want to be dependent on anybody's help, I guess is the point. There's another part, I think he says something, he's
0: like, oh, he's talking to Jerry, right? He pulls some the guy, the guy who initially worked at the club, linking middle-aged guys up with underage girls, and he has, after he's like hit Jerry, he pulls a thing of pills out of him, and he goes, what is this, Jerry? He goes, is this, uh, you know, he goes like, is this Hop? Is this roopy like you know like to oh, rape right, girls? Right, right, and he goes, right. and the guys I say he goes, is this one sided
1: conversation? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. All
0: right, so Steve, do you have a bad pitch for this movie?
1: I have a terrible pitch Please. for this, but you, you, um, we've heard the title in b- both of these titles so far. Mm-hmm. Taken meets Rambo. Okay, yeah, that, pretty bad. So pretty bad. mine was different. Um, and I'm gonna be
0: honest. The reason you should always write things down is so you don't forget them. All right. And what I was trying to think of, oh yeah, here's what it was. Mine is taken meets Tootsie. And the <laughs> and the idea is this movie's about an actor. He's playing an actor. That's what this guy is doing. Yeah, he can he can kill you in, in hand-to-hand combat, but he's an actor. That everything all his battles are won in the mind, which is one of the very first things he says. By the way, you do know he's a rough fighter because at one point He's talking to another Marine, and he's showing the Marine his knife. And the Marine says, uh, where'd you get this knife? And he goes, took it off a guy in Serbia. And he goes, did the oh, guy— East get- Germany. No, oh, sorry, German, East, 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 East Germany. Germany. That's right. That's right. East oh, Germany. A great— and, and so he says, took it off a guy in East Germany. And then he says, uh, did he give it to you? And he goes, no. As I recollect, he was reluctant to part with it. <laughs> he
1: oh. says it so matter-of-factly. Then the guy yeah. comes back and says— well, something like... Um, I always well, knew you Marines, Marines were, were a weepy, weepy bunch of fucks. Of
0: because I always knew you you Marines were a weepy bunch
1: of fucks. <laughs> and then and then Val Kilmer says, yeah, I got something in my eye. Yeah. <laughs> Hard bitten. Okay, so before we wrap up, all right, let's talk about
0: late career Val Kilmer. We've got Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. We've got Spartan. We've got uh, Wonderland, the John Holmes movie, which was... The first one you had recommended, aside from *Spartan*, which I did not want to do because I didn't um, think it would—I didn't, I didn't think it would do Val Kilmer credit to do *Wonderland*, even though <laughs> I think it's a good movie. When we think about the second half of Val Kilmer's career, I can make an argument it's better. It's more challenging, absolutely. And that there's just something about it once, more challenges. Once yeah. he got away from being really, really good-looking, quite frankly, he was allowed to do more. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't have to play. You know, I I think basically the second half of Val Kilmer's career starts after At First Sight. At First Sight is the moment when you know Val Kilmer can't do Jerry Maguire. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. He's not going to be the headliner of a romantic drama that's going to bring in all sorts of audiences. It's just not going to work. And that's when he starts taking on wonderland kiss kiss bang bang spartan the salt and sea which is quite a good movie
1: um am i missing any do you have a list here uh those were the uh, I, I had a list of uh movies that we could have Magruber, done gruber which is beloved by the way well here's what i had i had top um um top secret his very first movie which yeah, we're not he doing didn't like yeah i thought it was hilarious and it does show his ingenuity as a as, as a comic actor mm-hmm. you know um Thunderheart, which was yours, I yeah. know you, you liked it. I really liked Wonderland for, for Val Kilmer and uh, Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, she's- Proves that she, is the, she was the only actress on Friends.
0: Lisa Kudrow's the career, only actor on career was, was done a disservice by Friends. She should have mm-hmm. been in more dramatic films. It story.
1: made her rich, but it did derail an, an intensely you, you know who she talented is? actress. You
0: know who she is? She is the father from Long Day's Journey into Night. The one who sold out his talent so he could do the Count of Monte Cristo every night. That's what she is.
1: Well, the good the good news is she did a lot of uh, well, a lot com- of good work. The comeback is wonderful, but she should be an Oscar winner.
0: Oh, she uh, oh, has yeah. that talent
1: and she just there's just, a movie called Happy Endings and she's really good in that. It's just she, she's done a lot of small indie stuff that yeah. really It's she, unfortunate. The best thing. I'm in guessing it. that Friends just
0: completely shaped her career in so many ways, which is unfortunate because Friends mm. is stupid and
1: awful and I'm glad she's rich. Uh good for her. But she didn't get Maybe it. she could finance some of these movies. She's got she enough money. Man. She's so good. <laughs> um of course Wonderland, which well, we just mentioned that. I thought, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is just yeah. So well written. It, it is as skillfully written a comedy yeah. as this movie is a thriller. We couldn't do Spartan and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang because it just
0: wouldn't be a good um, representation of his career. We had to that's do. True. We had to do something from the first half
1: because Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. is the, is the star, and he is hilarious in that movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm a huge favorite, a uh, uh, huge fan of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and I put MacGruber, which is the worst movie that I, like I love. It's yeah. the, probably the worst movie that I love. Yeah, and he's great, and that's when he got real
0: fat. But that, who cares? Mm. The point is, One thing that's a real tragedy about the way his career went. Um, basically, not really by the time he got cancer, but right before it, because it was Mm -hmm. already turning to -to direct-to-home video garbage, Mm -hmm. um, was he was really trying to get a film version of his one-man show of Mark Twain made. And I think that would have been great to see. I would have loved to have seen him do Mark Twain. Really surprised that that's
1: what he picked. Yeah, I really really am.
0: I would have loved to have seen it, and it just just didn't work out because he got cancer. Steve, any final thoughts on the career... The fascinating career of Val Kilmer has a great, has an actor ever been so fascinating to a group of people with such few good movies <laughs> under his belt?
1: That, that, James Dean, I guess. Yeah, but he is, an, at least he had an excuse. Yeah, right, 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 <laughs> right. I, and, and, you know, all three, all three of his, I uh, can't say I'm a huge fan of, of two of them, but. Uh, well, you don't like Giant? No, it's it's big lumbering. I love it's, Giant. Uh, I don't
0: like Rebel. I like Giant more than the three, more than the other two.
1: I've never seen East of Eden, believe it or not. It's never boring. Seen East, uh, um,
0: I but yeah. I think I think East of Eden is better than Rebel. I think they're both better than Rebel, but I think Giant's the best one.
1: I think it's the more it's the most entertaining. But uh, yeah, well, uh, g- um, getting back, what I, I guess uh, it's a point that you've made. He needed to lose those pretty looks where he. He, in some movies, he was prettier than the leading lady, yeah, okay? right. He needed to lose those looks in order to uh, to get the kind of roles he wanted. And also,
0: just like his acting style wasn't... Basically, he had to be Tom Cruise. He had to be big. And I love Tom Cruise, people. Do not get... Tom Cruise is an artist. He is an artist. Tom Cruise has more talent in his, in his index finger than George Clooney and Brad Pitt have combined. He's just crazy, that's all. Um, <laughs> but the point is... I think Val Kilmer could have had his looks and thrived in today's
1: film industry. I yes. really do. He was, it is a shame that he, the, yeah. he he started out when he did. He just came, a came in a long time. Yeah. He
0: would have been Tom Hardy. He would have been Christian Bale. Yeah. He would have been Casey Affleck. He would have been Matt Damon. He would have been all these guys who were super cerebral, smart actors, and quite frankly, better than all of them with the exception of maybe Tom Hardy and Christian Bale. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Those guys are about at his level, but... But Val Kilmer had the chops, man. He just he was just a little bit too weird for his time. That's my basic overall summary of Val Kilmer. He was just a little bit too weird and unorthodox at a time when you were either Tom Cruise or Sylvester Stallone or Jean Claude Van Damme or you weren't gonna make it.
1: Or you were, you know, always picking Oscar Bait. Yeah, I think he I think he was I think he was more interested in other things. Yeah. Okay, Steve. He's got nothing to be, man's got nothing to be ashamed of. Steve, we went really long. We did. I'm
0: I'm not ashamed. I told you we were going to go long on this one because I love Val Kilmer. I'm so fascinated by the guy. I could really talk about him endlessly. Anyways, this was a good one. Steve, until next time.